I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, I want to know what lore is. you to show me i don't know if you were still going or that where that's in enough in the i was just seeing if you would pick it up no you know lore it's a mythology like and this this is the series that it was like the myth arc mythology mm-hmm. arc you said he went with lore mm-hmm. i think you just like that song that's yeah. what i think yeah i mean i already used x gonna give it to you from for jason x um <laughs> now that well this was your last chance. There's no more X properties. <laughs> we're not gonna wait. We're we're not gonna want to believe. Uh, we're definitely not gonna. We're gonna talk about how much we're not gonna ever want to believe. But where we love to watch for movie podcasts, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we're in our last week of a very time intensive episode or month for Peter and myself. Called When the Small Gets Big, which is about uh, movie sequels to TV shows that continue a show's story into from the small screen into the the, the the big screen. And yes, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at your calendars and going, hey, numbnuts, <laughs> which is an insult I'm trying to bring back into the lexicon. Um, it's February. Yeah, we know. We released a bonus Mr. Ed episode that we weren't expecting to. Uh, we're going to catch this up by the time summer comes around. It's going to be back aligned with months for, for now. Pipe down. You're still getting great, classic Aaron and Pete uh, joints. And uh, it's it's going to be fine. Some months have extra weeks. Relax. No one cares. No one's looking at their calendar. And, and a year from now, it's not going to matter at all. But uh, we're it's our last one. And this is we're doing um, X-Files. Technically, the movie's called X-Files 1999, but uh, like Die Hard 2, Die Harder, it became so entwined with its tagline that it's 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 mostly known as X-Files Fight the Future, because it's kind of dumb to just release a movie called X-Files when there already is a show called X-Files. It's very confusing. I don't like that the new Scream, Peter, it's just called Scream. I'm calling it Scream 5. It's, it's Scream called, no, 5. No, it's called 5 Cream. Yeah, it's called I Cream for Scream 5. <laughs> That's what it's called. Uh, it's fucking dumb. They just called it Scream again. Like, oh, it's like that fucking Mr. Show sketch. Four's the highest number. <laughs> they could um, have at least called it, literally, you just said a better title, Scream Again. Yeah, something. You can't just call it Scream, you bozos. They, they somehow found something worse than the era when everything was, was a resurrection or a revelation. I know. And I just keep calling it that forever. Um, but yeah, we're doing, we're doing the X-Files Fight the Future a uh, little spoiler warning for this episode, if you've never got around to catching up on X-Files. So Peter and I, in preparation, like we've done, we're going to spend the first part of this talking about the TV show, its legacy, our history with that, and kind of then jump into the movie that that this is a 
not quite, it is a sequel. It continues the story, but you know there was five episodes of the television show. Movie comes out four more episodes. Four oh, sorry, five seasons of the television show. Then the movie comes out. Then four more seasons, and then many years later, two more seasons, and another movie somewhere in there. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. This is gonna get pretty spoilery from uh for for the first six seasons. So. Uh, Peter, which we'll talk about, hasn't seen a lot of the episodes from seasons four through six. And he, just in preparation for this, watched the movie for the first time, watched the four, uh, season four, five, and six major, like, syndicate colonization arc episodes. But the last one that I believe you've seen is One Son. You haven't seen anything after that um, in general. Is that, do I have that right? That's accurate. Yeah, I saw seasons one and two and part of three I gave up on uh, a few years ago. And even as somebody who like had a quite a bit of disposable time, uh, the 22 to 26 episode seasons uh, destroyed me. And I was like, I I can't I, I can't do every single episode in these seasons. So then after season partway through season three i stopped and just went through a few of the monster of the week episodes so i have seen many of the weirdo highlight episodes um i've seen both the christmas episodes because i watched that in a separate project to watch all christmas episodes of of various tv shows um and uh so i hadn't seen any of the myth arcs because the monster of the week list that i was following was basically like we're going to avoid we're going to skirt around the myth arc and just have yeah monsters that are really cool that exist on their own so i had no idea what the deal was with the black oil though it would show up for five seconds in a random episode because the show is actually pretty good about at least in the seasons i've seen it's pretty good about divorcing or bifurcating the two um and even within that i showed this uh i showed let's say three or four of the episodes that were on the the the, um homework list the the um syllabus for this episode um, I watched two or three of them with my wife, and <clears throat> I literally it literally caught her up in thirty seconds. Like, yeah, that's the cool thing about the show is that like though I find much of the myth arc frustrating, and we'll get into all of that stuff. <laughs> it is pretty cool that like I was like, yeah, uh, they they're a special unit of the FBI. They investigate paranormal activity um it's not just aliens it's sometimes like you know ghosts and weird monsters uh they're kind of their work kind of usually gets buried by the the he- the overheads and there's a massive like illuminati like conspiracy going on but we don't exactly know what's going on like literally that's all i said yeah. to her and she was basically able to understand all the episodes except for when we got to two fathers she was very confused and that was understandable because i was also confused because they're just throwing they're just they're, they're throwing a lot of stuff. Yeah, so there's they're slinging there's DNA all over the place. So there's there's <laughs> definitely a lot of stuff you probably missed. So we I think both of us were like, okay, we're gonna pick up, we're gonna watch the season three finale, which will lead into season four, and then we're gonna watch most of the major myth arc episodes for up until Two Fathers. There were a few that like I purposely left off the list that I like, like uh, uh Tempest Fugit and Max, which is about alien abductions. Uh, but really doesn't like it's it's a weird alien abduction episode that more corresponds with a season one uh, fallen angel episode. It's called Fallen Angel that like does have to do with aliens and abductions, but it is like the 
one of the few alien stuff that's kind of removed from the myth arc in general and more just as about uh, an, an abductee. And then there was a couple that as I, I was a little bit ahead of Peter that I'm like, yeah, this is important to like their story, like um, like Emily and uh, and uh, Christmas Carol or whatever. And uh, but I was like, it's, it's like a, it's important to Scully's story, but like trying to just understand where the movie goes and the fallout from the movie, you can kind of you can skip that. There was another one where Skinner gets a nanovirus that's like the big twist at the end is like Krychek's involved is alive and back involved with the syndicate, and it's like yeah, I can fill you in on that one sentence. So that that's kind of what we watch now. For me, uh, actually, let's I'm going to back up before we get into our history, uh, but that's where we left off. I I definitely want to talk a little bit about where the rest of this uh, kind of near the ending, where the rest of the series ends up going from here. And uh, my thoughts, general thoughts on the, the movie and the, uh, I want to believe the 2008 movie and, uh, and uh, the season 10, I never got around to watching season 11, which probably tells you what I'm going to say about season 10, but um, well, well, it'll be relatively spoiler free. Uh, but if you have always been mean to get into the X-Files and don't want some pretty big things revealed, uh, even though the truth, as you've always known, is out there uh, through uh, through season six, you should you should stop listening and spend quite a lot of time trying to catch up. But what? Yeah. So the X-Files. I will can I interrupt really quickly. Yeah. I have I've loved doing this month, but uh, my inclination to do uh, the homework for this show uh, late in the game, usually doesn't punish me that badly. Like, uh, I'm like, oh, well, it's a really long movie, but, you know, I'll just, you know, skip that Saturday morning plan and, you know, watch the three, three, three and a half hour movie or, oh, we're doing two movies. Like, you know, I'll skip this other plan so we can get it. But the TV show, there's kind of no cheating. You have to start like weeks in advance because it's 45 minute episodes. I know. Well, and I was like, okay, so I think we can trim this down to 20. Oh shit. 20 is a lot of episodes. Yeah, you like kept it, you kept trimming and adding and changing the list, but I appreciate that like the the core idea remained through, and also I never got ahead of you, so it never really mattered to me. Yeah, I never. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, that's a good like. I, there was a couple where it's like you should, if we somehow have the time for this, you should watch a. You know, there's Monster of the Week episodes that would be more worth your time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we did the same thing with Twin Peaks, right? Like you got you had to watch a whole season of Twin Peaks, and I I caught a few episodes, and I had to watch every episode of Neon, Neon Genesis Evangelion, yep. which thank God I started in August because I finished it right before we we recorded. So yeah, these, but yeah, this was definitely a lot of fun, and uh, the X Files is such a fun one to cover too because. When I think of, like, shows, especially in the 90s, that, like, had a huge, like, that I was kind of obsessed with as a, as a kid, one that I had very easy access to in Star Trek The Next Generation that we've recorded a bunch of episodes on that someday you'll get to hear. <laughs> Actually, June, you'll get to hear. And, and then the other one was this. Like, these, these, the alien science fiction stuff was completely up my alley. And this, this show was was huge. It's it's kind of uh, in some ways appropriate that we're covering it after t- Twin Peaks because this was a show that was heavily influenced by stuff like The Night Stalker and Twin Peaks from a very like cinematic, horrific perspective, and then also obviously from anthology series, the Twilight Zone. Um, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, Night Gallery, all that kind of stuff. And, and then, if we don't get back to there, real, I'm really sorry, I keep yeah. interrupting you, but no, I have so no. much to say about this. If we don't get back to that, I end up watching a movie that you or an episode you removed from the list, uh, Travelers. Oh yeah, Travelers have, is great. 
Darren McGavin from Coljack on the Night Stalker on an episode doing narration and yep. truly I love Coljack the Night Stalker. I haven't watched all of it, but it's it's a pretty short show. You can totally see the X Files DNA like through and through. Definitely recommend Aaron. You you next yeah. I October, have I have not the watched TV it, movie. Really, yeah, I really need to. Yeah, watch the well, definitely watch the TV movie for Spooktober because it's really fun. It's really light and it's like it's like a seventies TV movie. So it's got like a, a funkiness that uh, a lot of stuff you're gonna be watching won't have. But it's X Files. It's about him. He's a he's an intrepid reporter that believes in the the kooky and the spooky, but he has to w- find a way to prove it to his editor who thinks he's full of shit. But his editors like can't deny that he's good at his job, so it's yeah. almost like his editor is sort of like a proto version of Skinner with a little bit of Scully in there. Um, yeah, I mean, all that sounds amazing, and I've always heard good things about it. Uh, it was just one of those availability things for a long time, but theoretically, that should be less of a problem uh, today. But uh, but yeah, so that's – I mean that's really what infused this show and it comes at a perfect time, right? Like it it comes at a time where – especially in like the Clinton era and like, you know, all the Whitewater and, you know, so-and-so had Vince Foster murdered and the rise of the internet and people shop, you know, sharing UFO stories and all these other conspiracy theories – like, the X-Files just came around at a perfect time to capture a very specific type of, like, imagination. And, and Chris Carter loved this idea of this paranoid uh, experience where what if all of it was generally real and it was, you know, ridiculous and ridiculous and ridiculous, but, like, that was the fun of it. Like, the X, one of the things about the X-Files that, like, became to the forefront uh, in later seasons – but was always kind of part of Chris Carter's vision. We'll talk about what I think of Chris Carter in general. Um, but was this idea that, like, it was humorous that there would be a Jersey Devil roaming, uh, roaming the, uh, the, the, the Jersey Turnpike killing people. Like, this stuff was supposed to be scary, but have an element of ridiculousness. And the show very quickly leans into that. Uh, you know, some of the, some of a lot of people's favorite early episodes is stuff like, did you watch, uh, I think it's called, uh, what is it, Jose Chung's uh, f- uh, From Outer Space, I think? Uh, yeah, Jose, Jose Chung's From Outer Space, yes. that's Is, I, is that the one that won that's an season Emmy? Th- that's season three. That is like Alex Trebek is a man in black, and like they're talking through the ridiculousness of these like Rashomon-style events, but like heightened by each one's like perception of like, you know, Scully being a scold or Mulder being an insane person and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I watched that as part of my Monster of the Week uh, uh, run. I believe that's the one that won Darren Morgan and Emmy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was like, it was Darren Morgan, I believe it was the second episode, but it was the one that, um, his first episode in the second season is pretty good, too, about a traveling, like, carnival freak show, for lack of a better, for the parlance of the show. Um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of writers wrote on this. It had sort of a revolving door, apart from Chris Carter, but... Um, yeah, Gilligan and Spotnik and um, not Darren Morgan, but Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who has done a couple movies that we've covered on um, our crossover episodes with uh, Swamp Flicks. Yeah, and Black, did... Black Christmas feels like an X-Files move, a movie yes. almost. Like, there's not like a Mulder and Scully, but it, it's like the sort of like a highly complicated 
uh, sort of intricate weirdness of, of a specific cultural figure, which is yes. this like this 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 murderer, <laughs> and like yeah. all of the weird lore that surrounds this murderer, and all the and like the background on the murder, all of that feels like a, the does. most fucked up X Files episode ever. That's not home. Yeah, and uh, and like the the genius of the show, and the the part where it really was like you know when I was watching the show or trying to watch it, which you know in the nineties. I didn't realize that this really did something different that, like, basically most other shows had never done, which is and, – and and that's why it's very well known for that. It was this idea of we're going to do these standalone Twilight Zone episodes with these, you know, recurring characters who are in, taking you through all these different cases. One of them believes anything and everything that anyone tells him. And the <laughs> other one is, you know, trying to trying to uh, put everything in, a, in an explainable scientific bucket. One of the f- jokes of the show is that the crazy lunatic is always right. And uh, the person who's like, come on, Mulder, is, is, all, is essentially always wrong. Which, you know, it, 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 there's a tweet that I think sums it up perfectly that you and I, I think, have probably talked about on this show before and definitely send it to each other on, like, an annual basis and laugh hysterically. Which is Scully saying that, like, hey, did you hear that three people were stabbed in downtown D.C.? And Mulder throwing a folder across the room at her to say, hey, Scully, you ever heard of the knife alien? Because <laughs> 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 that's really what it was. There's all these things where it's like... Oh, someone suffered like some uh, was burned to death in a house fire, and Mulder's like, "I don't think it was a house fire. I think it was the Loch Ness monster." And he's always right, but he can never get the evidence or even like fully see it. So he has to go by faith for uh, a good a good portion of the show. But then on top of that, you have this ongoing mythology that keeps introducing these new weird bits that is about uh, alien colonization and a syndicate and a shadow government designed to to let that colonization happen. happen. It starts from the very – I mean the first episode, the pilot, is about an alien abduction. It's the second episode that, that uh, is called Deep Throat that introduces – Hey, there's there's these higher up figures that are covering up all this stuff, and here's someone who's going to start revealing the secret. It gets more and more complicated as it goes on, and keeps introducing these like oil and bees, and you know uh, this shadowy figure and that this player in in the in the syndicate. But that was something; those two things paired very well together. The idea of these. Two people that you really like as characters, as actors, solving these sometimes funny, sometimes terrifying, sometimes dumb, sometimes really dumb, uh, you know, supernatural mysteries while it's still staying out of reach, combined with a, a truly a smattering of a, a look into this bigger overarching uh, conspiracy. Of the like 202 episodes, only 60 some could even be classified as mythology episodes, and some of those, some of those are like really stretching, stretching uh, whether they belong or not, just by having a reference to a larger storyline. But that you, part- you dropped a bunch of episodes from that list because you ended up watching them on your yeah. your sort of scan with me, and you were like, it's like two lines at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And some of them are like, I mean, Emily and. Um, the Christmas Carol one, like th- those are good episodes, but it also is like, I know that we're running close on time. Like, what do I want Peter to prioritize? Like finishing the syndicate arc or uh, or, or watching some sad stuff about Scully. Um, 
If 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 we weren't doing uh, Twin Peaks and uh, yeah. Evangelion and all these other shows that I feel this need to like fill out my knowledge with, <laughs> um, I would have been like, f- uh, and also if time hadn't run out, um, I would have been like, fuck yeah, man! Like let's let's make the list like forty episodes. Let's make it sixty episodes because I don't think I'm going to watch. I will go back and watch more of the special episodes from like one through six, but I do not think I'm going to watch any myth episodes after this i'm not gonna watch 10 and 11 i'm not gonna watch uh, i want to believe the movie um did they do a battery commercial or something i mean i i definitely don't think you should <laughs> they do the equivalent of the diehard uh, battery commercial they did not do a, a battery commercial we do not need to introduce mr ed to anything although i will tell you if we introduce mr ed to the x-files universe peter Mulder will be on our side it is a horse <laughs> that can talk and he knows who really killed uh, John F. Kennedy. Um, but uh, but no yeah, time. so the, Just, that is the... Haha, sounds like a good setup for a bit, Aaron. There's no time. There's no time. We did it. We did a whole... We, we changed our whole calendar for Mr. Ed to be included. He's out for now. We, um, we but that was the our, part that... We fucked up our calendar for six months for a Mr. Ed episode. It was totally worth it. It was the best episode we've ever done. Um... <laughs> Or, I mean, the other thing that we could do is edit slightly more and do two in a week, which I am not interested in. Um, no. But that 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 con- combination of, like, uh, Monster of the Week episodes and Myth Arc episodes, which, again, are terms now that are used for a million TV shows. They both originated with X-Files because that was the area that the X-Files, at least from a popular television standpoint, was really revolutionary. Like, you have, you have ongoing arcs, you have standalone episodes – everyone's tuning in every week because you never know when it's going to be a, a because the Monster of the Week episodes rule and you also never know when it's going to all of a sudden completely blow your mind with these uh, with these major re- re- revelations. So X-Files was on Fox and we did not have cable growing up and Fox at the time was not included in our um, in like the, the antenna stations. It was part of the cable package. Fox shows were like this elusive magic world that from a kid I was always trying to watch. Like I had to go over to a friend's house to watch Batman the Animated Series and, and Tiny Toons and – or Tiny Toons was WB, I think. But this, it was – WB was also on um, and UPN. Those were all still in cable at least when I was like – when these shows were airing. And obviously – so I, I, I couldn't really watch The X-Files. Now I had a friend who I would – occasionally he'd try to remember to tape them for me. Uh, and so I, he would occasionally like hand me a tape of a few episodes, uh, but you know most of the time they were Monster of the Week episodes, and you know I, uh, but yeah, so like I wasn't really able to see these, but I was obs- like I was obsessed with the X Files. I would read like magazine articles about it. I would, I think in the early days of the internet, like because I think we got the internet in, like ninety five. Like I would read go to fan pages and read, like, try to read summaries of it and stuff like that. Because every, everything I'd seen, uh, everything I, like, it just seemed fucking amazing, right? Like, I was, a, we talked about um on the Behind the Curve episode, which we recorded, like, three years ago, but came out, <laughs> came out as a special epi last uh, November. Talked about, like, I was definitely a conspiracy-minded kid. That idea of, like, there's this deeper truth underneath things from aliens to we didn't actually land on the moon and stuff like that. I would have all these I, – I have these books about, like, cryptozoology stuff and, like, to, to not – be really lame right off the bat, Peter. Like, I wanted to believe. I wanted these... I, not just I wanted to believe, I wanted these things to be real. I wanted there to be flying saucers. I wanted there to be 
uh, Bigfoot. I wanted there to be the Loch Ness Monster and and stuff like that. Like, that all seemed cool as shit. I wanted it to be real. And here was a show that was really, like, you know, extremely popular and very good at, like, uh, talking about all these things. I mean, talking about it makes it seem like it's some sort of weird, like, sit-down 60-minute news program. But, like, yeah, (laughs) it's a television show where they're, like – I still remember the first episode I saw, even though I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head. It was a first-season episode where they go – You probably need to talk about Flukman. No, Flukman's – I did see that one early on. I um, meant, I meant if we need, you bet the conversation, it doesn't matter. Oh, we, no, I, when you said we need to sit down and talk about this. We, we, we need to talk about Flukeman. We need to talk uh, about Flukeman. Do you remember there's a first season episode that was like really scary? Like, and I, I saw it pretty at, pretty soon after it came out where there's like these almost, there's like these leaf or organisms like in the woods and like somewhere in like Washington or something. And they would just show up and like web and kill these people like in cars and disappear because they were so hard to see and they would like blow in with storms. Um, oh yeah, that episode like freaked the fuck out of me, and I just I love, but I love like it just like sent a chill down my spine in this amazing way. And that was that was something I always loved about the X Files. So weirdly, I basically seen I besides some internet sites, I basically seen nothing about the uh, the 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 alien stuff like i definitely didn't know what was going on with the mythology i didn't know about black oil i had a friend who really liked it who i went and saw this in uh theaters with where i was kind of asking about like what do i need to know and he was telling me some things here and there but i saw it opening weekend uh and i loved it like i just so much i didn't understand what was going on and i you know was like obviously it leaves you on bigger cliffhangers with only so much move forward but i was just like i gotta see where is this going like it just felt like this like treasure that was kind of out of my reach but i was getting some good uh hits of it and yeah this movie i think i bought it on dvd when it came out and i still hadn't seen much of the series just because i really had a good time with the series and it wasn't until i don't know if you remember this peter so um you're probably a little young but they started releasing the seasons on dvd like in like 2001 or two or something but it was back when like the seasons were like 150 bucks and you got this giant box and i was in college and i'm like man i'd love to just buy all these seasons of the x-files but like be a thousand dollars for online seasons i don't have a thousand dollars uh, and with inflation, that's probably it was like three million dollars back then. Yeah, based on my calculations. yeah, you would have had to sell probably your smaller yacht to afford that. Yeah, and I need my smaller yacht in case my big yacht sinks, and I need mm-hmm. to go on uh, go get help while still having a pretty nice time. Yeah, the smaller yacht is really for belt tightening because uh, the smaller yacht, the big yacht requires so much crew to keep it running. Uh, yeah. It's not that I'm I'm high maintenance; it's that. Um, you know, those ships, they really require a whole crew to really show them respect. Um, I use the word she to refer to my ship, um, Mm -hmm. because my ship is a woman. So I'll have, you know, that shows I respect women. Well, sometimes when I'm in, I'm in the marina and I'm looking at all of my small yachts, I say, my little women. (laughs) I I like being like, yeah, stay small yachts. Keep it tight. I might have to hire more more men to swab the poop deck if you keep bloating up like this. Uh, so I uh, no, but I, Do you I didn't buy poop the poop decks. Sure, sure. Sorry, go on. Everything has a poop deck if you poop on it. Killed it. Proceed. Killed it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, like you can keep talking about the X Files, you fucking nerd. <laughs> Better than whatever that was. No, but I also, I also like. All right, while that that is an excessive amount of money to pay for a DVD box set that is now just available on Hulu, which is a uh, service that I get for free with my wife's cell phone plan. Was the first season twenty six episodes? Yeah, they're they're basically all like between twenty twenty six and twenty episodes. Twenty six episodes of like hour long. Like an hour-long drama. And if you think about that in terms of like movie terms or like how much entertainment you're going to get out of it, like 150 is not is not insane. It's just in a modern parlance where you TV is just chucked at you uh, to the extent that like, yeah, I know it's on a service that I could literally go watch right now at any given time, but I don't have enough time to do this. But yeah, so I what, what happened was is that, again, just one of those shows I always meant to get around to um, – uh, when I when I graduated college and, and uh, went to my first job, my job didn't, but it was around the same time when I had a little more disposable income and more time because I moved from uh, I moved from Fargo, North Dakota to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where I didn't really know anybody either. Especially when I first moved there, they started releasing these slim sets of the X Files that were like thirty bucks, even th- just to be assholes because it was the same discs. I imagine they took out all the special features. So it's like you can you can have all like they're they're smaller sets, they're thin cases, or those little like very thin uh, individual DVDs thing, and we're taking all the commentaries and documentaries. But I was like, fuck it, I don't care. Like it's thirty dollars, I can finally watch through all that. So I, you know, over a course of like uh uh you know probably a year in two thousand five, um I I watched, finally watched all the X Files revisiting just the, so and, and since then it, it's been a show that i like next generation a show that i go back to on occasion i usually am not watching the myth arc episodes because i i'm not really like intending to go through all that again but you know many times over the last 15 years i'll watch uh, a few favorite episodes or oh i have 45 minutes and i want to watch something i've already seen i'm going to throw on an x-files episode and doing this little project for the show where I'm just rewatching Myth Arc episodes, I actually started watching. I watched the first season and second season Myth Arc once too. Took a break for Christmas and then realized I needed to like in the last two weeks like uh, hit the gas. And that's when Peter and I aligned a little. So I missed most of the season three Myth Arc episodes, which which are actually unfortunately like some some of my favorites. Uh, I think the four and the five Myth Arc episodes aren't quite as good as the season three. But I guess Peter, to your point, you got so annoyed during. Season Season three of the Myth Arc episodes, you're like, never mind, Crycheck. Um, <laughs> it was all the jer- I, we'll get into why, but it was all the jerking around, and I didn't feel like I actually, particularly for what I'd heard about the show, I didn't feel like I had a captain at the helm that I could trust. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So th- the one thing I definitely learned walk watching through just a bunch of Myth Arc episodes. Is that the show's structure was truly brilliant. Uh, I think a lot of times at, at, uh, at the time, there's been a couple, I think, weird swings in X-Files fandom where uh, people were so into the myth arc and what was going on in the, the syndicate and colonization that I think when the show was airing, there was this idea that the myth episodes were the good ones and the Monster of the Week ones generally were were lesser quality. And then after the the mythology didn't really 
uh, had some really tough moments in some of the later seasons and didn't I think it wrapped up okay we'll probably talk about that a little uh, but not not like in a screaming success or anything else uh, I think Monster of the Week episodes have kind of made their resurgence as to like these are the ultimately the best episode of the X-Files and there's like you know 50 or 60 or 75 like really good ones um, I and certain think- ones come back like I watched um, there's two or three Fluke Man ones I watched watched them or maybe i'm thinking of no there's I'm only one you're thinking that like tombs i'm thinking of tombs yeah. tombs, tombs came back a few times and i liked i liked every episode with tombs yeah there's actually not that much for the monster of the week episodes that come back although sometimes they will feature like recurring characters like early on they didn't quite know what to do with deep throat as part of like the syndicate because that wasn't all worked out so he would show up being like they told me the jersey devils haunting the turnpike <laughs> like, oh, oh, that doesn't make why is he why is he informing him, um why is he, <laughs> why is he ratting on the jersey devil why is he ratting, what did the jersey devil ever do to deep throat uh, <laughs> the syndicate has two axes to grind uh, <laughs> rebel aliens and the jersey devil um, <laughs> but but uh i actually like i think the genius of the show and has been solidified by Rewatching just the mythology episodes, I actually think like even watching in the compressed way that I did, like I didn't finish the show in three weeks. I'm a reasonable person who had 200 episodes to watch, right? I finished it over the course of a year, even when I had access to it. Um, and even then, that that combination of like I don't know, besides like series, you know, finales and premieres, I don't know what's going to be myth arc. I don't know what's going to be monster of the week and every time it's like a surprise learning what it's going to be and i got that sense anytime it was like an alien shit or like oh there's cry check or there's the cigarette smoking man it was like a oh shit like what is going to happen and that the genius of the show is that balance in the ratio it's 75 percent monster of the week 25 percent mythology and the mythology episodes work best not as their own driving narrative but as this thing that sprinkled through the season to add a uh, force that Mulder is driving uh, against and that ultimately the X-Files are there. The mythology episodes are fine. I have a more positive opinion of them than it sounds like you do. And I fucking love the movie. But I do really like, I do really like the movie. I get mad at the myth arc for seemingly undoing some of the work of the movie. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um. But but I think like the the you know I it's it's tough because you can get a lot from the monsters of the week episodes if that's all you're watching, but I do think and this is like a tough wreck to anyone. I do think like the true X Files experience is watching all of it because those two things are linked to what made the show and what I think still makes the show great to watch even when. You know, the the quality of myth arc to Monster of the Week episodes in the later seasons tilted way towards Monster of the Week episodes. Monsters of the Week episodes, even when the myth arc stuff got bad, like some of my favorite some of my favorite Monsters of the Week episodes are in season six, seven, and eight. Like uh even nine has a few uh few good ones. Like the quality of their like Twilight Zone premises like stayed pretty strong. Uh, throughout the entire season, even the revival, the season ten, like the 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 few uh, high points are definitely in the st- in a couple of the standalone episodes. Like they bring Darren Morgan back for one. That's that's a lot of fun, and definitely not at that point. We'll we'll talk about it. But the 
mythology episodes are beyond redemption. So I've talked a lot. Uh, Peter, what what is your – you talked a little bit about your experience uh, with the X-Files in general. But what was the experience just kind of watching it removed from uh, all the rest of like the, you know, the framework of the Monster of the Week episodes? Um, it, 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 the – I would say that the it was it was nice to have a hand to guide me through this and that you had the promise that like we're going to close off an arc like we're going to have some semblance of closure um and I feel like I did get some semblance of closure um the uh the arc the episodes that you provided me did kind of feel like a while while sweaty and I didn't totally trust the 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 hand at the helm um I I felt like I was watching like a you know as if as if I was watching like a season of a show. People yeah. got at some point people got uh, way older, <laughs> but um, the the actual they get haircuts every week on this show. <laughs> but the the actual experience of watching this was kind of fun. I will say that uh, you can see Chris Carter's sort of uh, soap opera inclinations coming to rise at different points where he's like, I have to have something really spooky before we go to commercial break. And then you're like, oh shit, now we have to parse that with the rest of the episode, which is something that like a lot of great writers do. Vince Gilligan talks about, he's like, oh, in Breaking Bad, we would just write ourselves into a corner and then we would just like stay in the writer's room until we could write ourselves out. Like I would very rarely walk back crazy decisions. And that's like one of the reasons people love Breaking Bad is because like it somehow finds a way for Waltz to, you know, keep getting away with it. Um, in this, I feel like, uh, an inter- to jump back to what my wife was saying, she said, I Take said, are you trash. following this? I, it's like, are you following this? And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's like complicated for like a, a 90s show. And like, <laughs> the arc is not yeah. actually that complicated. No. They're trying to colonize. They're trying to use this like black oil virus. Um, and then... At, at, there's a syndicate trying to basically play all sides so that they can survive. And there's some sort of weird alien human hybrid thing going on. And then also humans and the aliens probably have a common ancestor um, or we're a descendant of the aliens in some way because they share our DNA. But that piece doesn't conflict with uh, thus far does not conflict with the fact that they need to still make hybrids because people still can be infected with the black, <laughs> the black oil, the Texas tea, if you will. Th- that like is that's kind of it. Like there's a group of people that are tr- that like made a deal with aliens in the fifties to like stave off uh, colonization. Kind they, of. And they said like. All right, well, uh, if we offer you a sort of sacrifice, we're going to give you our, our wives and our children. Uh, we'll continue, we'll, we'll assist you in your colonization. In the meanwhile, they're sort of playing them as a side because they're saying, yeah. oh, if, if we can make hybrids, the hybrids would be immune to the black oil. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think. I don't think that's that hard to explain to somebody. And I don't think it's that hard for someone to get, even though she had missed the first few episodes of the arc. She had never seen any episodes of the show. And she certainly did not see the close of the show because by then she was like, yeah, I mean, this has got, this has got kind of sweaty. And I, <laughs> I that's her speaking, not me. Um, but yeah, that I feel like that's kind of my experience is that like, yeah. I was like expecting it to be crazier and all over the place. Um, but in reality, the arc you kind of guided me through, I was like, it's kind of not that crazy of a story. 
Yeah, and uh, I want to talk about Chris. Way, but like, no, no, I know, and I want to talk about Chris Carter next. I do think like, and some of this is from skipping a few episodes here and there, and some stuff that gets revealed later. But like, you've never seen the X Files, and for some reason are not going to watch two hundred episodes before listening to this podcast. Like the the myth arc thing is, and again, this gets revealed over a lot of seasons. So, but the like, if you're going to tie the quick mythology version, uh, and this took me a little bit to parse too, so. There, uh, the original ha- inhabitant of of this planet is basically a intelligent virus called the Black Oil, but actually is called Purity. Yes, is the, yes, is the name of the virus. And this virus, and this goes to like, there's a few commentary tracks that walk into this to kind of explain it a little bit too, from Chris Carter and Frank Spotness. But they're like, basically, the the idea is that this virus is in charge of controls most of the universe. Like, it has infected everything across galaxies. Um, and the aliens are also, like, they have the black oil virus in them as well. They, the, the little green men that are coming and, and planning to colonize Earth. And they were the original inhabitants of the Earth. They infected humans and Cro-Magnon men and um, dinosaurs and everything else. Uh, and then they kind of, you know, gestate and coexist and, and keep keep having these kind of hybrid, hybrid lives. Um, what happened about 10, 30 some thousand years ago or whatever is essentially uh, the, the virus does not do well in cold. And so the earth froze all of the, the black oil, the purity virus kind of left, um, left the, the, it's the inhabitants of the earth and ended up like freezing underground, basically waiting for the earth to, to thaw. Now there's still the the colonists, the aliens who exist out there who when you know at some point realize or are making plans for the fact that the earth has thawed and they are going to go back to essentially reclaim the planet. And because you mentioned this earlier, but because that the virus has always kind of coexisted with life on earth, it uh we have remnants of its DNA in in our in our system. Uh, you could make a broader case, which is not that interesting to me, but the the show does on a couple occasions that, like, that's actually where a lot of this weirdness comes from. Like, these people with these powers is that we just have all this DNA in our system that, you know, is sometimes uh, unexplainable but results in these uh, aberrations. In, like that in psychic evolution. boy that can do chess yeah. good. But also basically a, a good chunk of the Monster of the Week stuff as well. Um, so... Uh, the aliens essentially come back and they – one of their their crafts crash at Roswell and the United States uh, – members of the United States government, the you know Russian government starts to investigate it. And essentially they do make contact and realize that the aliens are planning to come back and essentially reinfect the world with the virus and make it a – what they think is going to be a slave race doing the aliens bidding. So finding out that the reason that they left in the first place was due to cold, essentially the powers that be threatened to set off all their nuclear weapons if the aliens do that and create a nuclear winter that will not allow them to come back. Essentially, we we will put a gun to our head rather than have colonization. So uh, it's in 1972 that they strike this deal and all of these power figures, which becomes known as the syndicate, including the cigarette smoking man, uh, uh, Fox Mulder's father. And a lot of other people we see throughout the series essentially are going to, uh, you know, be in charge of their magistrates and their secret shadow government. And uh, and they're making a deal with the colonists that they to save their families, 
they will help prepare all the things on Earth for a mass infection all at once. So it's less costly for the alien species. But the deal is, is that they want to be able to save their families through creating uh, a hybrid as opposed to getting infected by the black oil virus. Meanwhile, in secret, they are trying to create a vaccine to the virus to prevent infection for them and all of their loved ones. It's the time the movie hits that we'll talk about in more detail that the syndicate, uh, who's always been trying to uh, work with the colonists while figuring out another way that doesn't include hybridization, they give up uh, as part of that deal, they give up their loved ones. That's where Fox Mulder's sister goes to and, and a, uh, a bunch of cigarette smoking man's uh, wife and a few other people. That's why they disappear from these abductions. And that is why they're abducting people to perform these experiments of hybridization on them to find a smoother way to transition the human species. The, the colonists have given them a drop dead date of 2012 that essentially if you haven't figured out a smoother way to do this, we're just going to go apart our colonization plans meanwhile like i said they have uh they have worked up a a vaccine that is meant to prevent them and they learn in the movie that the the virus is not something that's just going to alter their mind and live as symbiotes but that actually the aliens uh and the virus is a gestates it grows it starts as a virus is the first stage it, it grows into kind of a monster and then turns into kind of the gray aliens uh, that we know, which all of a sudden realize, the syndicate realizes that they're kind of fucked. Meanwhile, there's also a group of alien rebels who have not been infected by purity. And to try to prevent uh, infection, they have sewn up all their orifices, uh, who are essentially trying to fight the co- the colonizers uh, out, out in space as well. And uh, they are burning people alive and and essentially trying to disrupt their plans of, of the colonizers' infections with black oil. The arc that we just talked about ends with Mulder kind of learning all of this, or most of this. And the, 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 uh, as uh, as they're getting their families back, which they were promised to if they let them do these experiments, because they've successfully been able to hybridize uh, aliens and humans through Cigarette Smoking Man's wife, uh, the rebels disrupt their plans and essentially burn everyone alive. Which, for the arc of the show, Peter, which I won't get into too much, changes the narrative of colonization. Because the syndicate is no longer power brokers. The aliens uh, start doing their uh, a plan that's known in the mythology as super soldiers, where essentially they're just going to do their full invasion and on December twenty or in December twenty twelve, and they start putting in. Um, they take all of those people they took from experiments and turn them into uh, super soldiers, like just alien replicants, essentially. Um, that then they just start injecting into different parts of uh, the world's power brokers. They're not humans working for aliens. They are just aliens who are there to make sure that all their preparations for invasion on 2012 in 2012 comes to fruition. I just have one question. Don't you think that the word orifice uh, sounds like a Southern lawyer talking about where they can meet and sign paperwork? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Other you got to do it at your orifice. <laughs> I say, I say, I say. <laughs> Check out that orifice. Well, ma'am, if you take a look, if you take a look up up uh, up yonder, you can see my orifice. 
So, so the the super soldier section of like the back half of the series, the back third of the series, I should say, is generally I think less satisfying to fans because the cool thing about the syndicate, it was this like thing of humans that was somehow out of reach and controlling the strings. And the thing about the super soldiers is like you almost go into a little more Terminator mode where just every once in a while there's a guy who's unstoppable, but you don't. You're not really weirdly injected into these secretive smoky rooms to figure out plans. Instead, it's all um, outward uh, fighting inward. And it's not really till even the finale that you kind of learn that basically the, the colonizers took the setback of the syndicate dying is like is not really even a setback. They're like, all right, we'll just keep going with our normal plans. And instead of having these humans who are, you know, uh, raising the corn <laughs> – that's going to be used to pollinate the bees who will spread uh, purity across the country very quickly. We're just going to have our own people do it, essentially. You, you know, so, that, so, so that's so, why I've said, like, sorry, this is the last thing I'll say because I know, like, I feel like I've been talking like forty minutes of a fifty-minute episode. No, you need you need to do the setup just like I, I needed to do a uh, plot recap on Evangelion. Fair, but like that's why I actually think like if you're just watching seasons one through nine, um, I actually think like. There is definitely some stupid stuff here and there, and I, I want to transition into, like, Chris Carter a little bit right after this and, like, how he is as a showrunner and his strengths and his weaknesses and how that definitely shows in the in the back third of X-Files or on a lot of the mythology episodes. But I actually think, like, the story in that that area is pretty clean. Like, it actually works really well, which is why I've said, Peter, like... I actually think if you're just looking at the nine seasons, Super Soldiers is much less interesting than all the cool syndicate stuff, but it, it holds up pretty well. And essentially the ending of the series, spoilers, I've already told you it in text, so I'm not too worried, is that like you find out, yep, colonization is still on and it's still happening the date that they said all, all the way back in like season three in December of 2012. So – um, thank you, Aaron, for running through sort of like the overall perspective on this, like the overall arc, if you'll pardon the expression. Um, so uh, the the thing here, there's two things I think we need to talk about here, because uh, you, you say like what makes the first half of the show compelling, um, the first two thirds of the show, let's say, compelling is uh, the syndicate. Which uh, I agree with the, the the idea of these men in this like cool smoky back room talking cryptically, and we get to like spend a few minutes with them having yeah. full conversations and yet no real idea of what's going on. It it kind of is uh two. It's a it's a good prong point or a good fork in the road for two conversations I want to have, which is one um, that this show. Not so much right now, but I think like as we get closer to the post 9-11 shows, um, has a, a a sort of a crisis of confidence or crisis of faith. Similar to, I guess, Mulder uh, having his own faith in a meta way, um, which is <clears throat> so... When the show first happened, it was sort of playing off of these kooky conspiracy theories. Chris Carter has said, you know, I'm not really like a, a believer. I'm sort of a yeah. skeptic. But like, you know, I'm kind of like Mulder. Like, I would love to. I, I want to believe. Like, that's kind of the. Um, that'd be great if if if, uh, if Mulder's son was. I'd love to believe. Um, <laughs> Look, I'm trying to believe here. <laughs> um, but dinner but doesn't make itself. The, the show would be better if Larry David played Mulder. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't care. It's an alien. But, but you know. <laughs> but, 
Uh, but there's a weird sort of uh, modern concept, and I talked about this a little bit in the Kill List episode, where these conspiracy theories that at the time were these fun, kooky things uh, can, over time, feel a lot yeah. less safe and neutral and sort of like, yes. well, yeah, some people really believe this, but for now, it's just sort of like a fun, idle conversation, like, is Bigfoot real? And, like, post-9-11, Chris Carter's sort of th- statement that he made that I think is, like, rather astute for somebody that I, it feels like he dropped the ball on all the post-9-11 stuff. Um, well, and they quit. The show ends in 20, uh, 2002. So, yeah. like, they, they bow out pretty the, – the ninth season happens during 9-11. He, he – I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> you know there's that lone gunman episode where they, like, they Predict came out – Predict 9-11. Yeah, they predict 9-11. So there was a lone gunman spinoff that was canceled – uh, they ran during the eighth season, so it ran 2000 to May. And there's like uh, there's an episode where they basically are like describe 9/11, and and uh, the mo- which also I mean they got the idea from uh, Shane Black, who already uh, invented 9/11 in the longest night. So <laughs> they're you know they're the second uh, person who invented 9/11, and the terrorist who in 1993 tried to blow up the World Trade Center. Also, um, he you was think a real might be where they both figure. got the idea because that. Uh, that may make sense. That doesn't track to me. Uh, um, so the, 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 oh, so Chris Carter said something that I feel like is kind of astute for somebody who like largely dropped the ball on the post 9-11 stuff is um, he said, oh, I think after 9-11, like people weren't really interested in the idea of the government being the shadow, shadowy organization yeah. and that being a bad thing. <laughs> like people had a lot of faith in their government because they needed to have faith in their government. I feel like that's really astute because the syndicate is essentially this um it is essentially matches up almost perfectly with like a QAnon deep state concept of of that there's a uh there's a, a, a inner body working within the intelligence community that is subverting the plans of the most um loyal uh you know FBI members they they really are on the side of QAnon but you know it's the deep state that's keeping keeping them down and like Kill List has uh essentially like a pagan-satanist cult that has like ties in with the government that's like abducting people and performing human sacrifices and stuff and it's all yeah. stuff that happened before QAnon um, Kill List was post 9-11 but it's not really like directly tied with 9-11 these are all just kind of things that fed into the QAnon pipeline but yeah. like it is it, I, I don't think and then you also said in season 10 or 11 there's like an Alex Jones figure who yeah is, so is like oh what he's saying God. is true because the like as you said at the beginning of this episode the crackpots are always telling the truth it, I posed a question in a group that unfortunately I feel like you need to wait another 10 years before people were affected by this. But like who's watched X-Files that is too young to even remember the 90s era conspiracy? Like because 90s era conspiracies for the most part, I'm not going to say in all all the way, were fun and kooky and so marginal for the most place. They were like fun to explore. Like, you know, the, the Who Killed JFK books. We're exploding off the shelf. There was some obviously like some of the seeds you can see of like right wing lunacy, like the Clintons a murderer and have, you know, they killed Vince Foster stuff. But even that was like, you know, like these weird video cassettes, like in the back of a fucking true value or something. And, you know, it was it was a lot of it was somewhat harmless or it seemed like at the time, like we didn't land on the moon or what if there's aliens or stuff like that. And that's what the the X Files is 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 leading into. It's weird watching it in a like deep state post Trump post QAnon world 
um, where like you know they're uncovering these secrets about about the va- about uh, the government secret vaccine records uh, on everyone that they were actually used to catalog to catalog humans uh, or, you know, in one episode, the CDC is like, is actually, uh, you know, bad guys who are, or FEMA in the, in X-Files movies are like the secret world government and stuff like that. And the thing was, and Chris Carter has said this, he said this back in the nineties. The idea was, is that Fox Mulder's the shit that he was supposed to say that made Scully bury her face in her hand. It was supposed to be, so insane that no one would mistake it for reality. Like the fact that Mulder has to sometimes sit down in FBI inquiries and be like, so the CDC is actually the bad guy. And everyone goes, Mulder, the CDC is the, you know, and as an audience member, you're supposed to understand how ridiculous it would be to try to convince someone that the CDC is actually a villainous uh, organization with their own agenda. Obviously, (laughs) Everything I'm describing, uh, you know, is not the case. Like all these things from vaccines to all these things, it people, a huge contingent of our population. And that tells you, A, how far we've like in a way that I think no one could have predicted come from 90s era conspiracy cultures and how like just disturbingly sad our society is right now. But as I said to you, Peter, sometimes it is hard to go like, did, is it just a weird fluke that? Uh, all these people just see every government agency as a as a villainous organization, or did like all these dumbasses watching X Files when they were ten accidentally incept their brain into thinking that FEMA and the CDC are villainous uh, organizations with evil agendas? Uh, it's a it's a fluke, man. Um, yeah, I yeah, it's hard to say because like I would never say Chris Carter is responsible for like that that sort of thing, and obviously like. We have evidence that, like, QAnon started as a prank and then it eventually became yeah. a funnel for for uh, anybody from any conspiracy theory. You're welcome. If you don't believe the moon landing is real, you, you can land here. So, like, the, the conspiracies could have come from anywhere. The question is, um, the question is, like, is, is, is legitimizing fringe ideas in the first place uh, ethical? And I, I don't it's it's it, it it's so hard to say because like we want to find easy targets in we want to find easy targets for like this person is the cause of all of our problems today and uh unfortunately like one of the easiest fucking targets that you can come up with is oh because of this show this is why women yeah. feel ashamed about their bodies because of this show this is why um uh, sexual assault has not gone down in this country because of this show fentanyl is, is, is on the rise or because of this show, um, you know, uh, more people have decided that, that cooking meth is a cool thing to do. Um, none of that shit ever pans out. It's always yeah. just like, it, it's always just like, it's a, it's an output of what's going on in the culture. Media is supposed to be sort of like a fictional, a uh, report of what's going on in the culture or, you know, I guess a nonfiction report of what's going on in the culture, but largely a fictional report of what's going on in the culture. It's supposed to be sort of us digesting all the thoughts that are running through our head. And like, why, why wouldn't a show like X-Files have a, a rightful place in the nineties in particular, where it was like, there were a ton of weird questions left over behind, um, 
the Vietnam War and our involvement there well, that's, in the military industrial complex. That's the complex. thing, right? Like yeah. the idea that the government, the U.S. government, was a malevolent force is true. Yes, and was true in the nineties. Um, it's just they're not talking about the Gulf of Tonkin. But that's kind of what Chris Chris Carter said. Like his goal was was not to. The reason, like, that Mulder's not investigating the secrets of, like, the Vietnam War is because it wasn't that show. It was supposed to be he's investigating things that on their face no reasonable person would would look at as being could, – could be true. And the joke and the humor of the show is that it's all true. It's all true. And so, like – Chris Carter, I don't – you're right. I don't think he's responsible for it in any capacity. But um, it's just our, our like Overton window of like where our – what our culture has deemed could be true is off. And it's still off. Like those same QAnon people who think the CDC is organizing a malevolent, uh, you know, death death of all Americans by giving them a COVID vaccine or recommending a COVID vaccine – are ignoring all of the actual shit and support all the actual evil shit that our U.S. military does and everything like that. So, or the CIA does. Like, we're just, it's instead, like, again, it's funny that the conspiracies have have aligned more into the, like, okay, we we actually don't need to worry too much about FEMA. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, which one thing, one literally thing, put out a incredibly sad press release today that was like, hey, or uh, sorry, CDC put out an, basically an incredibly sad um, uh, press release today that was like, hey, guys, um, like we can't solve all this shit together. Like we're going to need a lot more support. And it just shows you like what the actual CDC and what FEMA's actual limitations are, which is like. Quite vast. Well, yeah, and CDC's uh, like CDC does have complacent evil because they are like still like like all of our government agencies, even the quote unquote good ones, are still aligning themselves to not support the individuals in the country, but the but the you know uh, the rich assholes who uh, essentially do run our a lot of our shadow government stuff, and I, I mean that facetiously. They, they they don't necessarily like you know. Um, Meat and smoky back rooms. Well, they might, but it's more like we give them money and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, the CDC stuff recently where it's like, ooh, we want to make sure capitalism keeps going well. We don't have a recession, so now we're going to change the requirement. That's some evil shit, but it's, like, evil, wimpy shit, not like we're covering up alien stuff. Yeah, Um, yeah. All stuff that's, like, legal. You're just lobbying the government to do what you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah, most of the worst stuff that that America does, by the way, is not not cover ups or or not not uh, not hidden, it's just all out there. It's just like, what the fuck are are you gonna do it uh, about it? Uh, speaking of Chris Carter, so Chris Carter's um, strengths, one hundred percent lie in uh, idea formulation and introducing esoteric weirdness and new mysteries. You mentioned that Breaking Bad, when it wrote itself into a corner, sat and tried to figure out how to get out of it. The difference between that and X-Files is X-Files would introduce a new crazy thing to divert your attention. So it would just kick the can down the road. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it would still be compelling. Um, like 
it was like all of a sudden, you know, there's the black oil in season three. Then all of a sudden the bees play a part in it in a weird way that you can't quite figure it out. And why are they using these clones? And why are the clones a lot of times of Fox Mulder's sister? And like, what's going on with these alien bounty hunters? And why can why does their green blood make people's like eyes pop out of their socket? And like, why can this alien heal people? Like, it was very good at just introducing these things that on their face are compelling while while never really going to give you answers and I think one of the ways that this bears a similarity with Twin Peaks is I think fans would have hated it in the same way they would have hated it if David Lynch had never solved Laura Palmer's murder at least like the type of fans who were tuning in to the you know tune of 25, 25 like million people watch this each episode Peter this is a huge show um, but like the fans that were watching primarily at the time is that like, it may have been an overall better show today if they never would have really solved stuff. Like the idea of the, the mystery always being somewhat out of reach of Mulder's understanding. Whereas I said in my recap, essentially like it, by the end of it, you, everything is pretty well laid out and explained on the table. And part of that is because like, Chris Carter, it's it's a it's a it's a common trope that like these creators are good at introducing mysteries, and all, and but not always good at solving them. I actually think, like I said, the ending of, and the solving of the X Files works. The problem with Chris Carter is that he always wants to reopen new mysteries, sometimes to good effect, like introducing new components that fit in these weird ways that get your imagination. Uh, running sometimes and i think where uh his post x files x files episodes or movies have failed is this idea of i need to keep hitting the reset button because what i'm most interested in is this idea of a skeptic and a believer paired together and that is you actually what why i'm bringing this up now is that the first time they do that is in season five right like they make Mulder. So at the end of season four, basically, uh, Mulder becomes convinced that all this alien shit is nonsense and it's there to divert from from the actual conspiracy, which is this vaccine-related target that they're doing all these tests on everyone. And that's, that's, uh, that's where his sister went and these, like, abduction memories have been inserted – into his head and and that was because scully was starting to had seen enough that she wasn't a Mulder type believer but she was starting to like you know she had been abducted she found out that she couldn't have kids she had an implant in the back of her head she was missing for weeks like she was having a hard she was becoming more open to at least the idea that some while while she she can't like She's not like Mulder who's going to sit and say, this is, I know exactly what happened, but that some of this stuff is unexplainable. And Chris Carter's response to that as it changed the dynamic was to make Mulder the skeptic to everything in season four. And for season four, I think it kind of works. What, Which what the ironic thing is that, like, in interviews, they say that that's actually closer to their dynamic, which yeah. is that, like, Scully's more... Uh, not Scully. Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson, yeah. Yeah, she's more of the believer and that um, that uh, David Duchovny is more of like a cynical, skeptical kind of guy and he like doesn't believe any of this shit. And like my problem with it is um, that I think that rather than I think that the show needed to evolve their dynamic 
um, to a new place at a certain point. And I think that the there's there's a moment after the movie in season yeah. six what, that really frustrated me, yep. where it feels like Scully is just basically like saying like, well, I don't remember anything that happened in that movie, so you're gonna have to we're gonna have to reset the status quo, and it's like so incredibly frustrating. But when you're in season four to five, so it's season four is when that that speech happens with all the stock footage, right? No, yeah, that's the season finale, season four. And yes. then he spends, uh, like, the three-fourths of season five, uh, funnily enough, still believing in the supernatural, but not specifically in the syndicate alien conspiracy. Okay, yeah. So that's that's the thing that, like, really um, I found very enticing, is that they're like, oh, yeah, well, aliens were just a way of the government from the, the military-industrial complex to shift uh, attention away from what they were doing and saying, well, we have to get more money uh for these programs because we have to fight aliens uh and to sort of like hide more of the money because we need to fight aliens which it literally is something the intelligence community does like yeah the, the while i while i believe it's certainly possible there are aliens the only reason that any of those reports were um were declassified and released last year is because it was the uh, the military was making a pitch to increase military funding in certain yeah. areas. This was not this was not them saying like, you guys see this weird shit? We saw this weird shit. It was them saying, well, now we need to assess threats, not just in the Middle East and not just from Russia. We need to assess threats from the sky. We don't know what these are, guys. Yeah. And like, we look at the fucking- a billion dollars. Look at the fucking shit with Havana Syndrome. Like, I don't yeah. know if you guys know this, but Havana Syndrome is fake. Um, yeah. It's just the military constantly finds ways to do exactly what this guy is talking about, which is like, <clears throat> we need more funding to explore this thing. And you're like, well, why should we give you more funding? And it's like, this ridiculous and scary thing that's not really real. Yeah. Like, what he's saying... And, the, and he's showing stock footage of, like, I don't think anything that is being said in this one speech where a, a military internal asset is explaining to Mulder, like, aliens are fake. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're basically, you've been basically made a tool of the, the syndicate to, uh, you know, try and disseminate the alien myth. Um, and the fact that we have been putting up resistance is just to make your life harder. And so, like, you fight harder. Yeah, and, that's and so also people reason- believe it harder because we and- just, we gave it up. People yeah. would, yeah. And he also, he he doesn't, I don't think he says this, but this really grounds something that bothers me the in, basically the entire show, which is that like, there's, there's like one moment in the movie when someone tries to shoot Mulder in the face. But other than that, most of their threats, the actual threats to their lives are, well, he does shoot him in the face. Yeah. Um, the most of the threats to their lives come from the monsters of the week. Yeah. And there's so many times where it's like, there's, like, no reason why the syndicate wouldn't kill him right now except for the cigarette-smoking man in a completely uh, in, a, in a completely lampshaded scene goes, no, we need Mulder. He's an important well, asset. But, but hold on. <laughs> and I like that that sequence is, like, you, the reason you're still alive is because the government wants you alive. You're a tool of the government. The show ends yeah. up undoing that twist. But it's an amazing twist. It's a great twist. And it's done really well. And it is believable. And, you know, in some ways, very, very true. Like, he does list a bunch of the shitty stuff the government has done and how they've been able to cover it up and that this is part of the tool. But I would actually say, like, it is important to note that you're right. The why didn't they just kill Mulder and, like, the martyr? Well, we don't want to make one man. The The martyrdom thing doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But they do explain why they never killed him, right? Like... 
in a more compelling reason. And actually, mm-hmm. that's one of the the reasons why, like, even though it's a myth dump in a way to end the colonization arc and move on to, like, the final phase of the mythology in Two Fathers, One Son, like, they, but they start laying these seeds back in early season three that, that Mulder is the cigarette smoking man's son. Yes, yes. So, why else would he be uh, in such an intimate contact with his mother the guy is extremely chill all the time except for when he's talking about family stuff family stuff yeah cigarette smoking man like very fucking agitated in a way you never see him act yeah and he i mean and i they do really like delve into that like he does like he is he is proud of Mulder, um and like that's like the chilling ending of one son right like when he kills his actual son and says that it's a shame that he, you know, he doesn't have a son that that could live up to his expectations and legacy the way that uh, that Bill Mulder's son lived up to his. And then he shoots and kills his his son. The reason that you know for sure that the cigarette uh, smoking man is eventually they find Spender's body and they think it's Mulder's when he disappears because he shares half of his DNA, like confirming that. Uh, cigarette smoking man was both him and samantha Mulder's fa- father which is also why when you figure out what happened to samantha he's she's not returned to the Mulder. it's because that's his daughter that he yeah yeah so and, and he says i mean he says as much when the clone version of samantha gets introduced to Mulder, or it's like it, she thinks of him as a father like it's deeply yeah. and, and Mulder doesn't believe it but it's deeply implied that that's what's going on whether that works for you but it does add at least a different reason why um why they didn't kill Mulder and one that's probably more plausible than the martyrdom one especially because theoretically all of these rich white assholes essentially made this deal with the the aliens to keep their families safe so you can buy at least to some level that well they don't want to kill Mulder because he is literally one of the people that they're doing this all for yeah and 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 i think that some problem with i mean some problems with the show can be directly originated to the time that it came out because the show was pretty revolutionary for its time even for doing the amount of serializing that it does do the the thing that i talk about where it's like the soap opera like we just need to keep you watching style like cliffhangers and yeah and stingers and 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 crazy plot revelations before we go to commercial but like Ultimately, like that's that's just them trying to shock you. That's one piece. Another piece is is like as it discussed, the show's like stubborn adherence to a status quo. Yeah. But then it'll it'll like it'll like flip the status quo for a little bit, as you just discussed. Where like for one for like half a season or one season, Mulder is the is the the, the Scully and Scully is the Mulder. That doesn't what? track perfectly, but it sort of explains what I'm talking about. But but it does make for very like I, I message you like I do find the scenes where they're like they're discussing alien stuff and Mulder is like, it's not aliens. Here's what it, where it is, and and like Mulder has switched from the supernatural and the crazy things to grounded explanations for what he thinks is going on, and still nobody. But be- now, now Scully and and Skinner are like, yeah, but we think it's kind of aliens, and yeah. so like just the frustration of him having to deal with, uh, I've completely switched my perspective. And you didn't believe me when I thought it was aliens. Now that I don't think it's aliens, you don't believe me. Uh, I I love those moments. Like, David Duchovny is a very uh, limited range actor, but that kind of, like, subtle hurt boy disappointment, he does very well. 
Uh, people, I mean, because Gillian Anderson is like a beauty. I, mean, I didn't really yeah. want to talk about this much, but Gillian Anderson is like a beauty. You know, it's very funny that she was like, oh, I, they wanted to cast someone who was like tall and blonde and, you know, looked like a model. And it's Gillian Anderson is like a, like a fucking like 1700s portrait of like yeah. the most beautiful woman. Like she just has like a very like pristine, very like she doesn't have that sort of like like any sort of like workman quality to her face like she looks very pretty in every single shot but very pretty with like a sort of like haunted quality like she's perfect perfect for scully it's also to be noted here because there's probably not a space for this like gillian anderson is amazing in the show she's uh, also helped inspire a bunch of women to go into stem which is great um, I don't know if there's any evidence of her inspiring women to go into the FBI, but I imagine that exists too. Um, more proud of the STEM one than the FBI one. Um, David Duchovny is, while he's handsome, he has, it is kind of like boy next door quality because he is kind of like a sad puppy dog. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, it's not, David Duchovny does not look like, you would never describe David Duchovny as being like a classical beauty the way you would Gillian Anderson. Like, he's, he's, he's just like a cute, a cute little puppy dog. He's yeah. very handsome. Like, there's no, there's a reason why he was a, he was a, a heartthrob for like an entire generation or two generations of women. Uh, and is still very handsome. Um, don't get me wrong. Not, not knocking his handsomeness. But like, they have very different sort of, I want to say like, like hotness styles. Yeah. Um, which I, I think know. is why they were good contrasts on magazine covers, which like they were all over in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, and they have very different approaches to things. And you're right, like him being stuck in a, in, a, in a scene where he's sort of like a uh, sad and deflated is like kind of matches his style. And her being like her being a little bit like more like trying to get him to wake up and trying not even wake up in like a woke sense, like wake up in a um in a like wait, what, why are you so stubborn now on this track? Like we need to, we need to activate your brain again. Sort of track is, um, is different or him or her refute him refusing to accept that Diana is possibly a threat and her being like, look at the facts in front of you. Like that's a good mode for Gillian Anderson to be in. And it kind of breaks her out of her, her standard process. But the thing that I want to talk about a little bit here is that like the status quo piece that I was just talking yeah. about. I'm not saying that the show needs to make them fucking open a pizzeria or something. I'm saying that with two FBI agents, um, an alien in a pizza place. (laughs) (laughs) Ever heard of stuffed crust pizza, Scully? (laughs) Really quickly, because I don't think we'll get back to it. I I do think one of the geniuses of having like – it's not surprising to me that David Duchovny is like the skeptic because he he comes across as a little bit of like that atheist friend you knew in college like that I probably was that's like just kind of a sarcastic asshole and like yeah, doesn't yeah. believe in anything and I do think the genius of casting that character as the guy who's like uh, passionately believes in nonsense is uh, some something of it is why the character works so well. I think it's why it works also because it doesn't come across as um, childish bullshit. It comes across as he's like. I put the, the facts together. I I believe yeah. this because I put the shit together, and like I don't care if you hate me. People have been told me. People have been telling me I'm stupid for my entire career. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um. So, uh, the other thing is the refusing to shake the status quo is like my problem with it is is like notably in it's it's. It's it's a little bit in Cigarette Smoking Man, who's largely which is funny. Cigarette Smoking Man it really reminds me of like a corollary to Bob. Like Bob was never supposed to be on Twin Peaks. 
Yeah, oh yeah, he was just an extra. He was an extra, and he was like in a shot, and David Lynch or or or, um, Dave, or, or Frost uh, thought that they were like, Lynch or Frost thought that it was Their like... lighting hit him weird, and he's like, he's got a good evil face. Yeah, and then he got to be in hours and hours of the show, and then including being like, an, it, being the starring monster of Fire Walk With Me. Similar to that, Cigarette Smoking Man was just like an extra. He was an extra, beginning. yeah. He was and... just a, somewhat of an intimidating presence that they kept using. <laughs> I think really? he's a pretty good actor. Like he started he to he started to wake up as an actor a little bit more as the show went on. Um, I, I cigarette smoking man just being like a mysterious man with unknown motives. I think it kind of works. It kind of works for the syndicate thing, though. The problem is, especially with characters like Crycheck, is like the shifting allegiances thing is like never interesting with Crycheck because it's. I feel like shifting allegiances in a spy movie. Or an entire espionage movie is only interesting if we understand what their motive is for switching sides. Why is someone being a turncoat? And he's and cried and just being like, well, Crycheck is always self-serving. It's like, well, who is he self-serving for? Well, but like, that's the thing is that he, I, I think, I think Crycheck, the actor who plays Crycheck, isn't is a is a not a strong actor to put it to put it simply. So he doesn't sell some of the stuff. But I I really think like the one of the things I really love about Two Fathers One Son is it really kind of brings together this idea that like Mulder everyone hates Mulder and the world revives revolves around Mulder. But Mulder has even his enemies respect at being like uh capable, smart, intelligent, persistent passionate and then there's like people like Crycheck or jeffrey spender cigarette smoking man's actual son who would love to be in the halls of power that Mulder's rejected in Crycheck's case or in spender's case would like love to be as competent and respected by his peers and by his enemies alike and uh instead like they just they're they're in some ways like they're just lesser Molders like Krychek is never able to like achieve that idea of being a, a power broker. Instead, he just gets used by everyone and anything, and and constantly gets the k- shit kicked out of him, or infected with plagues, or have his hand cut off, or anything like that. And you know, Spender even uh, has has no has no real drive, and so he's just a disappointment to everyone. And so, like, I do think like. The reason why that 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 kind of duology that ends the, the the syndicate arc works as well as it does is it is like taking some of these disparate characters and saying and and pretty contrasting them generally to like who the syndicate is as fathers and as people who saw themselves as fathers that need to protect their their legacy and their children and who is like the son that ultimately ends up better than than the rest of them yeah I, I can see that and by the end like i feel like that sense is is there but i feel like you're you're i'm beginning to i'm beginning to believe in that because i know how the story ends the problem is like while you're watching it so yeah a, a lot of it the the twisty turny things are just frustrating because you're just 100 like, percent you clearly didn't know what you were doing, so you kick this can down the street. Like, the fact that Crycheck doesn't get shot in the head, like, fucking four times in the course of the, the myth arc that you showed yeah. me is, like, baffling. Like, Well, and yeah, and some of it is just, like, you're 100% right, because some of it is that network TV thing. Like, we want the audience to go, oh, holy shit, so we show Crychecks in this episode right before the X-Files theme plays. Like, yeah. yeah. And so that that's the thing that the, the status quo changes I'm asking for are a few more understandable narratives as we go along. So I actually have some sort of 
philosophical questions to chew on for a while. Like I think yeah. the the central the central story of whether or not Mulder uh you know goes along with this conspiracy or the central story of the sin- of, of the syndicate um and like their sort of battles uh internally like i feel like i needed more time behind the curtain to really like make that drama sing because the mystery sings but dramatically when it happens i'm like yeah a bunch of assholes and their family died Sounds great. (laughs) No, I know. And that's why, like, even watching the series, I remember I I said I thought the season two and three myth episodes are stronger ultimately than four and five. And it's just because I do think they're wheel spinning a little bit. Um, And I think while, you know, the the, the sea change you're looking for actually comes in about a season from where you left off, Peter, because David Duchovny leaves the show as a regular at the end of season seven. Um, and he's in half the episodes of season eight and only the finale of season nine. Um, and the way that they adjust that is they bring in Doggett played by, um, Robert Patrick, who, uh, part is partnered with Scully. Scully becomes the believer or finally after seven years is like, this is all true. And Doggett is the new person who's there to be like, this is all the stupidest shit ever. And that, that dynamic does work. So the sea change happens. The the two things I can say about that season six episode after the movie, and we're going to get to the movie very soon, I promise, is uh, Mulder is equally frustrated as at Scully. And I think audience members were too. And the mild defense that Scully gives, I think, somewhat works. Although, Peter, I've had – I understand too. I've had 17 years to process how frustrating it was that Scully didn't like um, jump into the X-Files with two feet. Especially, Especially after six the, years in. I know, I know. Like, so I've had <laughs> enough time to, like, make peace with it. So I also understand that, like, as I'm saying, like, well, here's my justification or here's what I've made peace with. I've had, I've had the time to process it and you're just watching it for the first time. So I, I'm not trying to take away from that. I I was I was frustrated, too. But I do like at least, like, from a an arc, like, of, of basically Dana or Scully giving away the game uh, to Mulder where she's like – yeah, I definitely believe more than I did, but I don't think our dynamic works if all of a sudden I'm just like I'm just like you and I just believe everything and have theories. I'm here to test your theories. And that is frustrating to Mulder to hear that, especially after all seeing because he's ready for a partner who just agrees with him and is on the same page, which he thinks uh Diane, played by Mimi Rogers, is, and that's why there's some, you know, frustration between the the two of them but i also see like you know audi the audiences are very much the molder surrogate where it's like come on can't you just can't you just do this but you know rewatching even some of these episodes i was struck by how much like scully is pretty firm that's like i love you know care about you molder and i care about this work and i if there is conspiracies or these things that right now are not explained by science i want to go explain it by science but like I'm not you. This is not my quest. This is not my life's mission. And I, I do like some of that in that uh, – and and candidly, like you haven't seen it yet, but some of the stuff where, where Scully just becomes the, the full-on believer in seasons eight and nine doesn't always work because it is a little bit – she doesn't become – she doesn't go full molder. It doesn't quite work as well just because it does. It seems out of character from the Scully that we've seen. But I, I agree with you. Like, they never quite got the balance right after 
after the first few seasons where it was just this guy's kind of a dumb dumb. Yeah, and I I I just it, it's it's very frustrating, and that's and and that that's like most emotionally frustrating because I feel like they're like. You're na- Scully is now being dumb by not knowing this. Like, yeah. it's, it's it's she's now transcended. She's being, she's being a- actively obstinate. Yes, yes, which is a different dynamic that's not fun. Um, yeah. I mean, really, like the arc that I would like is you keep that main arc going for three three or so seasons, and then uh, Mulder has his crisis of faith, and then Mulder comes back from his crisis of faith even stronger, and then he brings Scully and Skinner in like full bore yeah i will take risks for you i will do everything for you and then they start actually making changes within the fbi to get more resources behind them and the reason i thought of that is because it seems like they're talking about the direct to the director of the fbi at the end of uh one son right uh yes uh, no, 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 no. So he's he's a so if you remember at the when they don't get assigned to the X Files, they end up reporting up to a different AD. Okay. Um, or a different assistant director. So they're that's who they're reporting to, not the director of the FBI, but the new assistant director that they report to. They saved the world twice, and they don't even get to talk to the director of the FBI. Anyways, um, I what I'm saying is that I think that uh, I mean, Janet it, Reno, if they could have. That I also forgot that there's 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 pictures of uh, Bill Clinton, Clinton and Janet Reno and, 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 and yeah. Skinner's office and such. Yeah. But my, my my point is that like at that point, I feel like they should have they should have like the FBI, the X Files should have a more prominent position. The X Files should be going up in stature, and they should have more of a, a stake in the FBI. But they realize like shit, there's still the NSA, there's still all these other intelligence agencies, there's still all these independent groups like the Syndicate out there, and so like. At that point, like, have, wouldn't it be interesting to have Mulder and Scully, like, ordering around other agents to go check out lesser cases, and then they're, like, going off to check out primary leads? Like, yeah, they, they really need a status a quo people. as the movie, as the show got more money. Like, 100%. Like, that's what they, they needed an Angel five, a season five, yeah. where they win so hard, they end up running the evil law firm and yeah. trying to turn it to good. Like... And season five was the best season of of Angel. I think you could make a case that like, well, you know, TV shows in that time were very reticent to change the status quo. And I I think that's a good case. Here's this is actually a perfect segue to the last thing I want to talk about before we deep dive into the movie is is the X-Files after the X-Files series. So my case is that it is less because uh, the the. The conventions of TV at the time didn't allow for that level of sea change and more that Chris Carter just has no – he always wants to go back to this dynamic that he has created. Because while I think the X-Files as a whole, as even a a narrative series, uh, overall works really well to this day, including some some severe shakiness in in, uh, the myth arc in the back third and – and uh, just the episodes, especially in season nine, uh, when Chris Carter had his opportunity to go back and revisit stuff with much less stakes of a weekly TV show he, and a freedom to kind of do whatever he wanted in a different in different ages, he consistently has made the most frustrating, worst choices that he possibly could that seem to exist for absolutely no one, whether to bring in new people or to satisfy uh, either casual or, or or hardcore fans. The first frustration wasn't I want to believe. So as I mentioned, season nine ends with colonization still on, still December 2012, and essentially you've 
you've stopped nothing. Which was a great cliffhanger for the series. That idea of like, yeah, you know, things have changed, but ultimately, like, as they say to Mulder so many times throughout the series, like, you are one man against forces beyond your comprehension. And, you know, it was somewhat, you know, uh, appropriate ending that that ultimately, like, all the work that was being done by these two well-meaning FBI agents didn't necessarily stop an alien global conspiracy and colonization of the Earth. Um, he gets a chance to do a, a movie in 2008. He decides, Chris Carter decides, you know, we've done a lot of mythology stuff. People got really sick of it near the end there. You know, 75% of our episodes were Monster of the Week episodes. Let's do a Monster of the Week episode. Um and and then when that's successful, when that works, we're going to come back and do a third movie about the colonization that's going to occur in 2012. So as an X-Files fan, like in 2006, reading IGN or whatever the fuck I was reading, Peter, I was like, hell yeah. All of that sounds great. Now, you haven't seen I Want to Believe. Uh, I went and looked, Peter. I'm like, does anyone like this movie? So I went on Letterboxd. The highest rating I saw from anyone that I follow is is one and a half to two stars. <laughs> um, this is a movie for no one. It was – I told you about this. So this is not new information to you. I want to believe, Cast that after everything, after past the point of, of Mulder being skeptical, you start – I want to believe – now, keep in mind, the last time we saw him, he learned for sure that aliens were real and the colonization was happening uh, in 2012, which, again, he at this point, he's, you know, been on a fucking alien spaceship and, and like, fought and hid from aliens. So he uh, has lost faith and does not believe in the supernatural anymore. Great. People love that. Who wouldn't want to go see an X-Files movie after six years and have the person just being a sad sack who lives in a shack somewhere? Who doesn't believe in the X-Files. They bring him back for one more case. That super Monster of the Week episode. Which has had vampires and ghosts. And weird spooky dimensional things. And demons. And all the like weird parasitic monsters. And stuff like that. Uh, the monster in this movie is a, a serial killer. Who is not supernatural in any capacity. However, a priest who is in jail for uh, molesting children, has a vision of where the serial killer is. And uh, Mulder, uh, Scully's like, we should go talk to him. I believe him. And Mulder's like, I don't believe him. Psychic visions aren't real. Uh, They go talk to him, and eventually, I guess they decide to listen to him, and then they go investigate the cabin, and there, there he is. And the big end of the episode is that Mulder has his faith in the supernatural, or the end of the movie is that Mulder has his faith in the supernatural restored. There's almost, that, that's it. Like, there's a psychic vision. And then, most frustratingly, Peter, you haven't gotten there, but they they solve the Samantha thing. You find out what happens um, to Samantha in season seven. She's not alive anymore. It's fucking a terrible ending after all these Samantha clones, but it does give, like, some closure and, like, this ghost you know, hugs Mulder and it's stupid. It's terrible. One of the worst things they did was how they ended the Samantha thing. Suddenly in this movie, Mulder is still looking for clues for Samantha's disappearance and thinks that the only reason he agrees to go back to this serial killer is that this serial killer might know where Samantha. So like this, I want to believe is for no one. Like what, what would this be for? 
And it's especially frustrating with the idea of that once the X-Files fans go crazy for this, we're going to get that big movie. Well, Peter, I don't know how to... I, I, I want you to sit down for this. They didn't, they didn't get a big movie because fucking everybody hated that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like... I feel like what X-Files should have been at a certain point was like, all right, we're going to have 12 episode seasons and then every summer there's a TV movie that's going to yeah. cha- change the status quo between seasons. And then um, with 12 episodes or and plus a movie like, you know, uh, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson could go fuck off and go do something. But they literally said when they're making the movie we're talking about today, X-Files, uh, Fight the Future. Um they literally said Which they were we like, we did X Files for eighteen months. Yeah, eighteen months straight. Yeah, well, yeah. It's so they have six year break and they do a movie that I can't believe that no one, um, no one was like, is this really our big return? So that obviously a huge failure. But revival series are the new things. And in twenty sixteen, it comes back for season ten. How does Chris Carter start season ten by changing the mythology because he wants to start fresh, I guess, and now. Mulder learns that all the alien stuff that he, like, for sure saw, well, this isn't season five anymore, where he can lose faith, and knew and was there for and lived through for nine years, and that's what everyone likes. He meets Joel McHale, who's basically playing Alex Jones in the age of QAnon, and uh, tells him that none of that was actually real. It was all part of this new conspiracy. So everything that you as a viewer saw for nine years was fake. And why that fundamentally just doesn't fucking work at all is because uh, The X-Files was not a first-person perspective show. Like, we didn't just see what Mulder and Scully saw and saw these little fleeting glimpses. We saw all the shit, and we knew what Mulder and Scully could discover. And the fact that they never did or never could quite get what we were able as the audience to see... Uh, was part of the thing that was so frustrating. It's like, oh, Mulder, Scully, you almost got it this time. And so to reframe that entire show that we watched as a bunch of bullshit, uh, who is that for, Peter? Yeah, who? Who? Yeah. So, also, uh, like, just also, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't think that the alien invasion arc is, like, it's good for this story, and it's, like, a fun story. I don't think the alien invasion arc is so fucking good that you can never compete with it again. Like, come up with or other Or do colonization. Of- like, everyone does have black oil except, like, Mulder because he was protect. You know, like, that's the thing is that he, he walked... Well, I'm saying that, like, this is not just about the conventions of TV at the time, your frustration with the status quo refusing to budge, but Chris Carter is that Chris Carter got a chance for a movie that he could basically do whatever he wanted, and then he got a chance for two revival seasons that he could do whatever he wanted, and he's like, how do we go back to just no one knows what's going on and these weird dangling mysteries, and yeah, it fucking sucks. It's bad. You shouldn't watch it. Yeah. I, I find that very frustrating, especially as, like, they could have done interdimensional portals. Yeah. They could have done, like, Lovecraft shit. They could have They could done... have done a Wrath of Khan thing where they go back to a Monster of the Week episode that was super compelling and made it a bigger thing. Yeah, yeah, basically... <laughs> yeah, they could completely ignore the mythology arc and just do six episodes that are, like, five Monster of the Weeks and then one that's, like, brings back a Fluke Man equivalent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like... Uh, you, you, the, the I, I, it shows a tremendous lack of self awareness. Uh, yeah. that 
uh, after this point, the mythology just becomes confusing and like, oh, well, maybe there aren't actually aliens. Like, you can't, we can't, we can't do that. You can't, we have, we're, we're so fucking can't, beyond can't that. Can't do Chris. that. I'm sorry. Also, so, here's the key thing that pisses me off. We live in the reality where the government is using strange, like I just discussed, like Havana Syndrome and like um, the Gulf of Tonkin and like uh, alien reveals. Like the government uses uses uh, both fake and real incidents to um, get us or elements of the government use it as, to get us uh, or the powers that be to agree to uh budget shifts or to get congress to act in a certain way or to get us to go to war like we live in the reality where the government manipulates us into doing coming up with crazy reasons for us to do crazy things um i want to live in the reality where there is a government shadowy government conspiracy and aliens are real and they're trying to cover that up like i want to like that is not i want to live yeah, in that, that it, is like, way that is way less depressing I I, I, I kind of want to, like, I don't know if I necessarily want to live in a reality where the entire universe is covered in this black oil stuff. And, like, you know, we're, we're just kind of on a dead-end planet that's managed to stave off its own extinction. Like, yeah. like but the idea that, like, aliens are real it, and there's a government conspiracy to cover it up, but, like, a guy within the government and his partner who, um, as, his, as a skeptic want to fight that is is a compelling story and that's something that i can i can root behind and that's something that like i want to know the internal turmoil i want to know like like what happens when uh their budget starts to get cut or they get the x-files taken away from them like i want to know what happens in their fight to to maintain the faith and keep pushing forward like that is a compelling subject but i'm just being like yeah actually uh now you don't even know if aliens are (laughs) real um surprise all those things we showed you that was a conspiracy against the viewer Um, also like i use the word depressing way more depressing for them to bring back the show and be like all that time you spent <laughs> i know like who, that's what i mean like but i think it's just it's it's chris Carter's both strengths and weaknesses he is he was good um at like i'm going to introduce all this weird stuff that's outside of you and you're not going to see it like so many shows have copied that to success and frustration right like that was lost thing like ever this idea of like this these little hints of things that are going to compel viewers was like you know basically chris carter's magic and he just he never got to that point or like he never was capable of going to that other point where it's like okay now we're gonna wipe the board or or you know build another board on top of that first board that that changes it instead he's like let's just go back to no one knows ever anything. No one's learned anything. No life lessons. And, like, even though Josh Whedon is a huge piece of shit and I don't want to talk about him, like, he, he his shows, he, he's talked about that, like, and other screenwriters, too, like the Vampire Diaries and stuff like that, is like, hey, we love the X-Files. Uh, what we learned is how frustrating it was when the status quo didn't change. So we need to be more ready to change the status quo. And so, like, Buffy and Angel did that quite often oh yeah that was um, the fun part about buffy is there would just be like a new weird shadowy organization or a new vampire cult or something something you could chew on for a season and then they'd murder the entire heads of that or yeah yeah and vampire diaries would have like oh i assume this is the season's big bad and it would kill it in you know two episodes and stuff like that so like you can definitely stop at 
at season nine. If you feel like if you're listening, you're like, should I go through this season? Yeah, like I think at the end of the day, like there's some things like we don't talk about William and some other stuff that you can ignore. There's some stuff that's done better than others. Uh, the the kind of seasons two through uh, you know two through seven or eight are I mean that's a lot of seasons. Uh, I have so many good episodes and stuff like that through it and it, it the the bones uh even through a lot of uh red herrings and false starts generally hold together in a satisfying way definitely ignore everything that comes after uh this but let's talk about when the X-Files was at the height of its popularity and it released a may release giant budget movie 70 million dollars which at the time Peter I think was 8 billion 9 yeah. million dollar budget yeah um, what does it say is it actually, uh, doubled the GDP of Bulgaria where they shot. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed like the biggest thing in the world. And I went and saw it opening weekend in a packed theater and it made, uh, made like 200, 300 million dollars, something like that worldwide. Just, just sort of insane. Uh, but let's talk about when the X-Files was the biggest thing in the world and they decided to fight the future. Gotta fight the future, man. quickly to frame it up which i feel bad saying because we just spent two hours but we're also talking a little bit about the shows uh so this movie was shot in between seasons four and seasons five on the summer break that was peter's illusion too they they shot the x-files for 18 months straight because they did season four right into the movie and then right back to to do season five as a matter of fact season five accompanies their um absences occasionally like sometimes it'll just be Mulder. uh uh, because, you know, Scully had to go back and or uh, or Jillian Anderson to go back and do reshoots on the X-Files movie. So he, when I had already seen this movie many times before I went through the show and it was a you know, it's following uh, uh, they had a whole season to prep for how it was going to lead into the movie because they shot it after season four. What's really weird to me and was weird to me the first time I saw it, too, is that the season like season five as a whole and the season five finale barely leads into the movie and then the season six premiere picks up a thread of the movie while just kind of getting back to the rest of where they were at with the show they don't forget everything that happened in it i always anticipated it was like in my in my memory or my not my memory but like in my what I assumed had happened is, like, season five builds to some huge thing where the X-Files close, and then, uh, you know, it, it's a direct line to the movie. And ultimately, I think one of the reasons why not having seen the first five seasons of the X-Files in entirety or seeing any of the mythology, the movie does generally work on its own, is because it isn't necessarily following directly the threads of the show. It's, like, the only bullet point they seem to have 
for for the writers that season is that at the end of the season we need the X Files to be closed and them and them off it. The only reason why it's extra surprising is just because like it's all the same writers and directors that were working on both. So you'd think think they would have worked a clearer through line to the movie but you know regardless regardless they didn't initially chris carter had expected the show to not be as popular and his goal was five seasons in a movie by the time they got to the point where they wanted to make a movie the show was huge uh they had to convince 20th century fox to even let him do a movie but uh based on the success of seasons three and uh three uh which where it got super huge uh and the mythology really took off they greenlit it Got to write it and got to make it. Rob Bowman, a uh, veteran director of the X-Files, who I think directed most of the episodes and a lot of the action-heavy stuff, got to ended up directing with all of the Frank Spotnitz, Rob Bowman, and Chris Carter being heavily involved in the story. Uh, and the plot of the movie is essentially uh, Scully and Mulder are off the X-Files. It, it does. We'll talk about this a little bit probably, but it does some very... I think sharp ways to get the audience up to speed, both to who Mulder and Scully and what their dynamic is in the opening scenes. And then they have this amazing scene where I think uh, was helpful to me to catch me up onto what's going on in Mulder's life later at a bar, which I think is just masterful writing and, and filmmaking for something that needs everyone to know what's going on, or at least be able to enjoy what they're about to see. But they're investigating this uh, bomb threat that was... Oh, sorry. It starts with revealing some pretty big things about the mythology. It starts 33,000 years ago, where essentially the Ice Age is uh, ending and um, a, a caveman ends up uh, running into a fellow caveman who has been taken over by the Black Oil. An alien monster has emerged uh, fully formed from his chest and kills him. We flash forward to that same cave where there's some boys that fall through in Texas 33,000 years later. One of the boys, played by, uh, what's his name? He's a well-known actor. Oh, right? yeah, he went on to, like, be a be like a particular, like, a teen star. Um, yeah, he was, I think he's the lead from Tokyo Drift, I think. I forget, I'm forgetting his name. Joel Lucas Black. Lucas Black, yes. Um he falls in and he's like, cool, I found this cave. And he gets taken over by the black oil virus, which I'm sure if you were following the mythology was like, holy shit, I know what's happening. Uh, and ruining your date that you're probably on someone that you took there. Um, uh, and it, then it goes to, yeah, Mulder and Scully are investigating a bomb threat in Texas. And uh, Mulder has a hunch that uh, he wants to check out the other building where a bomb threat has not been called into in a very Mulder move. Only to discover as he goes to get a pot from the vending machine that the bomb actually is in the movie that his hunch um, brought him to. Um, so he they call everyone over and go, you guys have the wrong building. Only for the lead uh, on the FBI task force to say, hey, go ahead, get out of here. I'm going to try to defuse it. We don't have much time. And we see him sit down and not try to do anything uh, while the while the building blows up fast forward to uh their questioning about wow of course even though he he did find the bomb and save a bunch of people's lives uh the fbi superiors are questioning him because they're like why were you in that building in the first place that's not where the bomb went in um why did you not follow protocol and let uh leave him alone unattended to try to defuse to defuse the bomb this none of this makes sense you guys aren't in the x-files anymore we're not interested in your explanations and, and skinner's kind of taking a a, a back seat to kind of hearing unfortunately them getting railed over the 
the coals through this stuff and Scully basically tells Mulder, like, I think I'm done. Like, we're not in the X-Files. That's what I was here to do. I don't even know what my career ambitions are anymore. Um, I, but I don't want to keep getting called into hearings where I'm getting questioned my motives and, and whether I'm doing stuff. Through that hearing, though, Mulder discovers that, that there is three pe- – that they did not evacuate everyone from the building like they were told. That three firemen and a little boy died and were burned to death. Uh, he ends up going to this bar, sad and drunk, while Scully, um, after Scully has basically said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving you, I don't, I'm looking for a transfer. Um, he gets drunk at this bar in a very, very funny scene that also does an amazing job, as I mentioned, of telling everyone what's going on. Uh, the bartender's like, so what's going on with you? And he does this funny recap of, of five years worth of episodes that, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, integral part in a government conspiracy. And, and, uh, did you, in case we don't get back to it, did you enjoy Like, I think as a kid, I didn't realize what they were doing when I saw this in theaters that like, oh, this is how they're explaining to everyone what's going on. If you've never seen the X-Files, um, and the way that they do it so masterfully is like a supposed to be drunk. Uh, Mulder is like sharing his life story in two minutes with this bartender who just asked, why are you having a bad day? Uh, and the the writing on it's so funny too. Like I, this, I actually was like, oh, this is kind of genius the way they've done this. Yeah. I was, I was pretty appreciative of it because, um, you so rarely see Mulder be, um, I think vulnerable in a way that's actually relatable because so many yeah. of the conflicts that he goes through are not fucking relatable. Like him being like, yeah, I'm pretty bummed that my dad might be a cigarette-smoking man that's part of an Illuminati conspiracy to conspire with an alien invasion that's trying to... Like, so much of that shit is just, like, not actually yeah. that relatable. Like, oh, I guess my I guess my fucking cancer-ridden dad wants me to hide out at the end of the world with him as an alien s- s- cyclone. Like, And this is just like... No one believes me uh, that I found the Jersey Devil. <laughs> But in this, it's, like, relatable. Like, he's he's just gotten beaten up. Like, nobody, nobody, he doesn't have anybody he really can trust in. He feels very alone. He's working a job that he doesn't think that he should work. Like, it's it's all extremely relatable. Oh, and by the way, a bunch of people died uh, because he, um, his, his, it didn't, he didn't uh, perform well at his job or he feels like yeah. some sort of sense of survivor's guilt, I guess, is, is the more relatable version of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, he gets cut off from the bar. Maybe not uh, maybe not too unexpectedly. And um, all right, spooky. Yeah. All right, spooky. I think I think that's enough for you. Um, and he uh, has noticed this person who's uh, named Kirchwaller, who's been kind of watching him. He goes outside to pee. Um, he pees on another 20th century Fox property, Independence Day, Peter. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, that he pees on the Independence Day he poster. He pees on the ID, ID4 poster. Yeah, they 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 literally spend the, – the shot lingers on the poster for like so, seconds. So here here's what's a weird – like to, if you want to know like has film culture always been the fucking most annoying – or nerd culture been annoying? I mean I told you I saw this opening weekend, right? The audience started applauding. And, uh, you know, as I, I was kind of like, oh, I like Independence Day. Why wouldn't you guys like Independence Day? I'm sure there's some dumbass message board, AOL message board reason at the time that, like, that was, like, a big thing that they did. Uh, but I'm just like, and Emmerich movies are dumb and X-Files is for smart, smart. people. Smart. Yeah. Uh, this is that fucking Rick and Morty thing just, like, 20 years earlier. 
I just thought you would find it funny that the audience I saw it with applauded him peeing on the Independence Day poster. I um, went, I, I went, huh. That must be something really weird, weirdly specific and esoteric. Yeah, it was. I didn't get it at the time, but I mean, because I loved it. I mean, Independence Day was huge. It was 1996. I was 13. That was amazing. Um, so uh, uh, Alvin Kirchwell is played by Martin Lando. He's like, hey. You know, he's kind of, he's he's serving the... He's, hey, role. first, I'm not a child molester. <laughs> yeah, I know. What is it, kitty porn again? If you want to hear uh, Martin Landau say kitty porn a lot uh, and you have no interest in alien conspiracies, I gotta tell you, you still have to check out the X-Files movie. God, uh, he was such a fucking pro at playing, like, a, a decrepit old paranoid crank. Conspiracy, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, he's so good at it. Um... But uh, he's like, hey, have you, you – you know those people that were dead in the, the, in the building. Like, here's the thing that no one's bothered to check. What did those people die of and did you know they were already dead? You find out later that he actually was a former part of the syndicate who knew his dad, who got like – who didn't go along with their overall plans to – uh, to uh, agree with the colonists and since been writing like lunatic novels that again for the syndicate standpoint is like he's kind of a crank who's not causing any harm because everyone thinks he's a lunatic anyways and but that gets Mulder off on like a, oh I need to investigate at first Mulder does his normal thing where he's like you're an idiot I don't believe you and then he immediately believes him uh, he goes and investigates and finds that those people that supposedly died in a bomb and a fire actually did not die in that and uh bring scully with him and they have like weird uh see-through malleable slimy skin and it's because as we've learned as they went to this site where the where lucas black got taken over by the black oil virus the syndicate is freaking out because they found out that that they're not going to be like a slave race that coexists like a like a host like uh, dax from deep space nine but uh, they're actually going to be food for the black oil, which will gestate and turn into an alien and burst out of people's chest. So they're they're panicking about what to what to do uh, as they've learned this. And so there's a lot of like um, scenes between the well manicured man and the cigarette smoking man and other white men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who are like, well, fuck, what do we do about this? Where does Mulder fit in? And ultimately, the well-manicured man's thing is like, I, I'm going to help Mulder along because I, uh, we're fucked. Like, our whole plan has gone up in smoke when it's gestated. Um, they take the trail of to Texas to find these kids, to finding these tanker trucks that have left because the whole conspiracy is that we kind of already mentioned this, that the black oil virus is actually going to be distributed by bees, that they're uh, the, the black oil is going to be fed into crops. That's going to grow corn. That's going to be distributed everywhere by these bees that are going to be released into the public. Um, and, and, and get everyone infected at once. They end up finding these bees and Scully gets uh, stung. And then when he calls the police to – because they decide, well, we can't kill Mulder still, but we can take out the thing that he loves to deter him from getting too far while they're in panic mode or the syndicate's in panic mode. Uh, and that's where uh, uh, Scully gets taken and gets in one of the programs with all the other abducted people where she's removed from the equation. And that's when the well-manicured man kind of goes to, to Mulder and says, hey, here's what's going on. Like we're, we've been prepping for colonization. Um 
this is, you know, your dad was involved. I've been involved. I did it to save my kids. Uh, we thought that we were going to be mindless slaves, but still exist as a species to the aliens. We're not. We're apparently just host bodies for them to grow their their life. And so here's the va- we have developed this vaccine. Um, we've never tested it successfully. Here's uh, Scully's location in Antarctica, uh, which I'm sure you kind of liked for the thing reference, Peter. And uh, and here's the vaccine. If you introduce this into the system, it may delay their plans and give us a chance. So, well, manicured man kills his driver, kills himself. Then Mulder goes out into Antarctica to rescue Scully. He essentially finds a giant alien spaceship that's under the Earth there that's been housing all of these test subjects uh, managed by the syndicate and the colonizers to make the alien hybrid race. He finds Scully... Uh, and injects her with a vaccine, and uh, that disrupts the whole system, including uh, turning off the cooling system that starts making aliens pop out of people too early. And uh, uh, he drags Scully out. He sees this giant spaceship, this amazingly huge, come out and fly ahead, seemingly solidifying forever that Mulder's uh, Mulder believes in aliens and they are real and this is part of the plot. But as I mentioned, unfortunately, they walk that back years later and then they end up at the FBI saying, oh, we don't have any evidence. Here's the bee that stung Scully. You can find the the information in there. And the ending shot is the syndicate getting a letter or a telegram that says the X-Files have been reopened. And that is how they fight the future Last thing I'll say is that um, because it's so weird to me that this this movie theoretically is blowing up and revealing all these things, but not revealing too much about where they're going. Chris Carter said his biggest regret from the movie is that he should have given away more information because they really marketed it as you're finally going to get the answers you've been waiting five years for. And that's part of the reason he made the odd choice on paper to end the colonization arc 12 episodes later in the season outside of the big budget trappings of the movie and uh, move on to the next super soldier phase. So yeah, 12 episodes later when the season six comes out, they've wrapped this whole bad boy up and reveal everything, which I, I I'm glad they did that because I think it still makes the movie this like lean machine that's revealing that works as like a seventies paranoia thriller callback to Hitchcock and a lot of other things. And then they do kind of the information lore dumps in 12 episodes later. But it is an odd, I mentioned to you, it's such an odd choice that that this feels like it's blowing up the syndicate arc to bigger proportions. And then 12 episodes later, they're like, and they're all dead. All right, moving on. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 um, I feel like I took this, you mentioned Star Trek at the beginning of this. I feel like I took this as a Star Trek movie where uh, it works best as sort of a special episode. Yeah. Um, here is a plot line that would take, uh, we wouldn't have the budget for in the show. Um, we're going to throw some money at the plot line to really express it. But ultimately what's happening is not really that much crazier than anything that would happen on the show. Like, obviously the length is crazier, but like, all right, they, they do a lot of, uh, there's an episode where they blow up a, a fake government building. Like that's pretty big for the X-Files. Yeah. Um, but like, Not so big for Timothy McVeigh, but... Yeah, this movie definitely lives in the shadow of the Oklahoma City bombing, Waco, Ruby Ridge, like, at the yeah. beginning. And then 
it just turns all that stuff into more conspiracy fodder, which made me a little uncomfortable. Um, Because it's a little bit less uh, sterile and safe than, like, aliens landed on this planet and occasionally abduct people. Um, Yeah. But the syndic, like, the, um, where was I going with that? The, um, oh, but the, 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 that's that that blowing up the building is like a little big for an x-files episode but could have happened in like a season finale or something the actual alien inside the alien craft in antarctica is is looks pretty uh pretty huge and, and, and is the special effects are great but like them invading an alien base and it's just like tunnels with some tubes in it like that that's totally within X-Files's range. Like, yeah, it's largely just an episode in terms of scope, but it's blown up. But like, there's not the thing that bugged me is there's like not a whole lot of status quo changes as we discussed in the first half of this episode. But as a special episode, it's it's incredibly thrilling, and the yeah. I, and and um, I, it's kind of fun to see X-Files with a little bit more of a depth in the camera work. Um, yes, it is like X Files was al- already like in in taking on the baton of Twin Peaks and like let's make cinematography on TV matter. But I think this movie like does a fant look. It looks gorgeous. It's so well directed by Rob Bowman and also knows very well to harken back to like seventies era paranoia thrillers, like the shots of the Washington Monument in the back, the like panning up to huge giant glowing tents and and helicopters flying over a cornfield like it looks fantastic yeah i'm um i i'm with you i uh, even even some of the cgi iffiness stuff like looks pretty good and i think that's because uh the movie is kind of humble um like the the bees sequence they don't make the bees do anything crazy. They're just kind of like dots, CGI yeah. dots coming out of tubes. And like, that's, that's not that hard to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it would be easy to do, um, but I'm saying like, that's not, that, that's not that hard. They're not asking the bees to like, uh, do what they did in like Constantine in 2004, where like the flies and, and bugs and roaches form like a person who can talk. Um, like that, that is like, that's it. That's an ambitious level of effort. This is just yeah. all the bees are flying out and they're flying at them. Like that's, that's that's yeah. that, they're kind of living within the the bounds of the X Files, which is that like a lot of this stuff is weird, but not all of it is necessarily supernatural. Yeah, but it does feel very like pulled back. Like even the bees, like we you watch an episode with the bees, right? Like it's close up, it's on a few little bee things, and I love that sequence of like how how pulled back they are to all the vents opening with this like fantastic sound design while they start running like it it really you know movies that are or tv shows that are making the jumps to movies sometimes struggle to feel like they're not just a special episode and even though i think the plot contrivances are a blown up episode i think the contrast for that this looks like a movie is uh i mean it looks like a movie it looks like uh you know even though they use their common tv director and ro- common sounds insulting but like they used a regular tv director who's already producing episodes it doesn't it doesn't look like an episode of television no it certainly does not um the like i was saying the depth of field in this in the cinematography makes the antarctica feel epic where yeah um i'm not sure if ice the episode ice takes place in alaska or if it takes place in the arctic or where but it takes place somewhere that's supposed to be sort of a remote cold location ice feels small 
I feel claustrophobic and intimate. Like the show very often used its its confines to yeah. create success. Ice felt small, small, and like it's like a room of six people in a tent at one point. <laughs> um, Ice is their other notable for the audience. Like this, Ice is the um, other notable uh, the thing riff. Um, I would say the alien conspiracy is sort of a combination of the thing and alien. Because the black oil is sort of like a more macro version of the the thing. Um, And the fact that the rebels can take over the faces of people they kill is sort of a thing riff. But the fact that the the evil aliens, the colonizers, are able to gestate inside of a body and just kind of use it as a husk to burst out when they're ready. That's a straight up, that's, that's a xenomorph thing yeah um did oh. you, just out of curiosity so you're watching this for the first time i mean the i would say like the big besides the reveal of like a little bit more of the syndicate's goals and what's going on with the with the colonists like the reveal of like actual like not not shadowy background aliens but like fucking aliens being existing and getting like full-on looks at them was a big was kind of the other big reveal is not the right word, but the big uh, new thing in the movie for fans of the show. Did you did you kind of enjoy the like when the bursting out of the the chest, or were you like oh, alien derivative? Like where where did you land on that? I definitely stuff? like concept like intellectually. I was like, you know, if this is their central baddie, they should come up with something a little bit more original. And even the black oil as an image doesn't feel like anything I've seen quite before um yeah. it's concept like i said it's conceptually similar to the thing um but um it's not really like aesthetically similar um yeah. i thought but the the thing is you have to go back to the origins of the series which is like chris carter is trying to take alien visuals and all the alien conspiracy theories and make them match up with the reality of the show and like yeah grays are a very common alien form yeah that, that that people report seeing and abductions people have night terrors of grays like it's it's very common so like i was fine with their overall look because i was like well yeah i mean like if you're riffing off off conspiracy theories from you know roswell to the 1990s you kind of have to have grays in there and yeah. grays with claws and then grays with claws that eventually become you know blue shiny you know spooky yes the crazy teenage years yeah like that's kind of a cool that's kind of a cool concept that they sort of like yeah exactly they have like a growth and a violent growth and like puberty era and then they like turn into like the more solemn kind of grays that we think of um though there is a very funny shot and i think it's two fathers of the grays all standing around in the warehouse and i don't know if they meant for this shit to be seen in hd because you can see that it's children just sort of like uh like anxiously or like impatiently stamping around because one of the kids is kind of flapping his weird little alien hand around yeah no i watched it i watched it on my projector too in in hd and it's like okay this is less creepy than when i watched it on my you know 30 inch tv on on standard definition dvd oh yeah i watched a lot of the x all the x files that i've seen i probably watched it daytime trying to close the blinds or the curtains or whatever room i was in and like squinting at the tv with a little bit of glare on the screen and like that made it way creepier because it was like the shadow plus the 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 contrast is is you know uh made it scarier i would say that the the special effects in this though to go back to your original question um 
pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it, like, it's with the exception of bees. It's I mean, thankfully, it's ninety eight, so they were they were less reliant on on CG. But it's all it's mostly models and stuff. Yeah, and it's it's pretty funny when they get into season six and they're saying like last time on X Files, they actually incorporate footage from the X Files movie. Oh yeah, and you can totally tell. You can't tell really from the, the cinematography, but you can totally tell from the quality of the 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 um the um alien because yeah. they're like smushing in uh scully's doing an autopsy one of the aliens smushing in the 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 chest and is like this thing is basically taking the rib cage apart like the rib cage is serving no real purpose anymore it's 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 softened to become like jelly yeah and like that shot looks it's really uncomfortable it makes, <laughs> makes me uncomfortable yeah the other thing i think this does really well is and you call it like a big special episode i think that's fair like it you know, the the move from TV to movies, which we've been covering all month, like, you know, Twin Peaks is a kind of a weird animal. We, we've actually been covering, I think, in general, the weirder animals, right? Like, Twin Peaks is a prequel that was like David Lynch getting to do something different. Like, it's it's analogous to the show itself very, very pointedly was, was not, which we discussed at length last week. Neon Genesis served as an alternate finale to the show, which is, which is, you know, kind of a totally different animal. Like Transformers was probably the closest analog to, to this weirdly enough, but so many of the other like uh, Downton Abbey or Veronica Mars or these other shows that have went and done like movie length or big screen versions is like kind of continuing the episode and and a lot of those are very poorly received because they have to uh, the the challenge of both making it of uh meaningful or available or recognizable or understandable to a, a wider audience and trying to do something that's big and cinematic that justifies a movie a lot of times puts those movies at odds with the uh with the fans and tends to make reviewers go this is for nobody and i actually think like this is a movie that was well very well received by fans of the show had generally positive reviews even from people from critics roger ebert has a great review where he goes um he gave it a positive review he gave it three out of four stars but he's like i do think it's the first movie ever where you need um a syllabus, cliff notes, end notes to truly understand it. He said, I didn't understand all the where all the threads like fell, but I had a great time watching it. And I, I think this is one of the few movies that has towed the line of being uh, a bigger episode of the show and satisfying to fans and also still feeling like it's doing something special as a movie, but not losing its X-Files-ness. Like, I love the way... You know, the thing about X-Files episodes and why they had those, like, you know, inner titles at the bottom of the screen is because they'd be, here I'm in Washington, D.C., and now we're flying to Idaho, and now we're back in Texas to follow a lead. And they felt like like country-trotting things as they would investigate stuff as opposed to, like, um, you know, there'd be the autopsy scene, and there'd be the questioning the locals, and... Here's a cut to the syndicate and stuff like that. And the movie does all of that, right? Like, it it feels in some ways like, you know, the first commercial break, you're getting the, or the, the you know, you get the pre-credit sequence. You get the, 
first commercial break where they're at the bomb shelter. Now the mystery starting to be revealed. You have the syndicate stuff. Next commercial break, they found the body, and you know, and then the end is the big finale. Like it somehow, it somehow is keeping with the stylistic, episodic nature of the show, while still feeling like a movie. Uh, and I, I think that's an incredible thread to, or you know, incredible like uh, line to toe that somehow it, it does please everybody. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, like I was referring to at the beginning, like, the fact that my wife was able to catch up with, like, very little context, I think, speaks to, like, the overall concerns of Chris Carter, which is, like, it's not, <laughs> like, I mean, we just talked about Twin Peaks, like, Twin Peaks doesn't care if you've seen every episode, you may still be incredibly confused, like, um, the most, the most dutiful fans are not necessarily rewarded, um, but uh, in this, it feels like the the dutiful fans are at least being rewarded with um, a more expansive view of the conspiracy. And if that's what you were coming in and, and asking for, like, great, you're going to be you're going to be happy. Um, however, it's just from a modern context, some of the, the sort of like overall decisions that Chris Carter made. Um, yeah, kind of weaken weaken the movie's impact some because like I was enjoying the movie. I was like, this is really cool. It's really cool that like now you know Mulder is fully back. Like he after this, it feels like he should be able to get his X Files back, and it feels like Scully should be able to fully embrace the mission, and they should be able to take this bigger um in season six. And then you get to season six, and they're like, well, what if um you know he. <laughs> what if they don't get the X-Files back for a long time and what if uh, nobody believes him and even Scully doesn't believe him and there's a new there's a new uh, woman that's sort of like drawing his attention away that has like like the Mimi Rogers character is of uh, Diana is just kind of um, I, I don't I don't totally know how to parse that because like the show was like ooh Scully's jealous because she's taking away Mulder's attention and, but like Scully also has legitimate concerns about Diana like she's obviously a plant for the cigarette smoking man but Mulder just believes that she's fine um all of that comes together I think in in a way that like makes the movie kind of weak because Chris Carter found a way to put it in a context that made it weak, not because the movie itself is weak. Like Chris Carter found a way to like, I think sort of nerf the impact of the movie later, which bugs me. Um, He kind of astroturfs a lot of the big moments from the movie. And it's like, if you're going to do a movie, particularly if a movie is like big, like this, and makes a bunch of money. Like I want, like I've been saying the whole episode, like I want status quo changes. I want updates. I want, I want their relationships to be really like, tight when the time hits like instead you mostly get a a depressed Mulder in season six who just kind of like goes with the flow you get a scully who's like romantically jealous at diana which that whole thing the whole mimi did you did you ever hold on did you ever get to the point i forget if they reveal this in the episodes you watch that uh Mulder and her were married uh no not married okay um just that they like dated Okay, so yeah, FYI, they were married. Sure. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, uh, like 
I regardless the the I don't think well, the, so writer, I don't the writers of Male here. Nerds was was qualified ever to write the show as a romantic show, and they certainly no. were never qualified to write in this Mimi Rogers character who was like no. supposed to be a romantic rival for for Scully. So, like, but here's the thing: I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mildly disagree with you in that. I think you can interpret it as a romantic rival. I actually like even when what's his name? What's the little fucking kid? Preston? Sure. Spencer? Um the psychic kid. He's like he he is very specifically like not calling attention to the fact that there's romantic competition, but more on like professional. Like I I think the the speech that Scully gives Mulder that understandably frustrated me and frustrated you, at the very least, he's like it's putting a choice between, like, do you want someone who is going to challenge you professionally and be there to, you know, you've always claimed that this makes your work better. That, like, I, by being who I am, make you better. Are you going to abandon that to follow someone who just immediately believes all of your harebrained ideas? And so I think it's more like a battle for, like, what is what does a functional working relationship for Mulder look like? Like, is is it that is it that he you know like that everything they did over the past five years wasn't just a, that he did respect her as an equal who didn't share the same mission um, as he did and and took her opinion seriously, or was he always just looking for her to eventually just become Mulder part two? And I, I think some of that dynamic, like I said, I'm not I'm not saying that this is all handled the best, uh, but I don't but like I do think the show is trying to get at and, and clearly getting at like, do you want someone did you actually respect me as an as an as an equal who you who who didn't agree with you a lot of the time or most of the time? Or did you always just want me to become someone who would just say, yes, Mulder, your ideas are perfect. Let's go with that. And I can understand why why Scully would feel betrayed in that moment that, like, it seems like that's all Mulder wants is a is a yes person. Yeah, I I, I, I do. I do agree with you in that sense. Um, I will say that the, I don't think the writers wrote that very well. I, I think it's there. It also helps that, like. So the whole, like, shipping thing, even though there's a little kiss in the X-Files movie in a moment of vulnerability, like, it is true that you you probably know that eventually they just become a couple, right? Yeah, but the creators sort of jerk them around a little bit. Like, there's, like, a time jump, so you don't actually get to see much of their early relationship, right? You basically get to see none of their relationship. Because uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen until the end of season eight, and then Mulder goes into hiding. So it's present in um, the the reboot series and in I Want to Believe. But like I said, I mean, you can forget about all that. So at no point, it never becomes, not that this is actually a good example of a shipping relationship done well. Like it doesn't become Brooklyn Nine-Nine where the relationship in the workplace factors into anything. It it, it never becomes anything where they're, until the, the reboot series, which you should ignore. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't mind if they skipped a lot of like the soap opera sexual chemistry stuff and they just got to like, hey, they were already sort of partners. It's just now they sleep together. <laughs> um, they were already a functioning, uh, a, a functioning unit. It's just now that functioning unit um, 
you know, functions their units. Know <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying? Oh, uh, I know. What? What? I wouldn't saying? mind. I wouldn't mind it. Like I, I, I usually. But I, I kind of like it the way they for... have a platonic professional relationship for almost the entire series. Like, yes, yes. I, I don't particularly care for that in the sense that, like, I, I, I really relish when shows have men and women in a workplace have like professional relationships and they admire each other not just because they like they're attracted to each other. They admire each other because they like professionally respect each other it's also a problem with tv shows when they make everyone super hot because when i have this thing with the expanse and it's not my fault tv has trained me to this i just finished the expanse season finale and like for most of the last season i was like everybody in the show is so pretty everybody in the show should kiss like most last season i was like bobby draper is one of the most beautiful characters on television amos is like also just like an amazingly hot man like is tom is tom jane still on this show <laughs> tom jane has been off the show for a bit wow huge spoilers for me <laughs> uh you don't know how he gets off the show well you just be like get, i know based on you saying the fact they don't kiss i know he doesn't get off on the show <laughs> <laughs> it's not a spoiler i mean he could just be like i'm gonna go hang out on the moon for a bit <laughs> I just want my moon back. <laughs> but yeah, my point is that like we watch these shows and they're the most beautiful people on the I also had this problem with the 100. I was just like all these people are everybody so fucking kiss. beautiful. Just everybody kiss. And like the thing is like what I actually like in my in my really what I need in my soul is like for to like to have what I I want to see on the screen reflect to what I have in my regular life, which is that many you of my women friend, many of my women friends are very attractive, and I've never ever wanted to kiss them on the mouth because that's not how our relationship works. I am not that interested in like the Mulder Scully like romantic relationship, and like I said, it's I almost never enti- am when it's a room full of white men writing. <laughs> well, it's also like it just never becomes a part of the series. I. I think it's 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 something that was a part of the series early on because of shippers. I actually I, I'm trying to remember. I think it might be X Files where they invented the term shippers over those two. Were they locked so, in a container ship for six months and people? I like, don't know. Like I I actually I think that's right. And it's not till the very end when Mulder's off the series that they are like, all right, I guess these two can get can get together but like off screen and i'm like i'm glad there's never there's never a scene where like Mul- scully walks out like with a new haircut or something and Mulder's like you look nice like he's not interested in that like i think you could even uh make the case that like at some point they end up together because they have alienated literally everyone else in their life and have spent like it is it is something like hey we're best friends if we're single in 20 years we should just we should just get married because um, because yeah there's there's not like a scene where they try to like now we're gonna make this super horny. Um, uh, there's a there was a tweet I read recently that was like uh, all right uh, you're my best friend if we don't if uh, we don't find anybody in twenty years um, I'll we should get married and the guy goes yeah and the t- twenty years pass and the, and then the next tweet from the guy is just well you said. <laughs> uh so dumb thing that people that dumb thing that people say is just it has no bearing on reality so i i I looked it up and yes my my uh memory was right it's uh the term ship comes from people wanting to see uh uh dana and Mulder 
get it on. They call it's, it originated in 1995 by internet fans. They originally called themselves Relationshippers. Mm. Then R Shipper, and then finally Just Shipper. Isn't it, and it, isn't it kind of disappointing it comes from Relationshipper? <laughs> yeah. 100%. Wouldn't it be way better if it was from like, oh man. You remember when, oh, I'm an old timey pirate, and we know what we do when we're below decks on a long voyage. <laughs> I was just gonna suggest that, like, if I'm like Barney Miller, two characters were like uh, uh, shipwrecked for six months together or some shit. Yeah, so I mean, at the very least, like, again, it, it actually there, there definitely was a giant contingent of fan that fans that wanted to have sex to the point that originated the term for it, but they really don't. Don't ever do it. Um, there's actually a joke. I don't know if you didn't really watch any of these episodes, but like that they they never show Mulder's bed. He just sleeps on that couch in his in his. He's also apartment. he's canonically addicted to porn on the show, right? He's can yep, a hundred percent. Yep, that's very funny. Which is there's the David Duchovny detail that I assume the show just took over. Uh, probably, um, just that he's kind of a repressed weirdo who does who's not really good at uh, uh, relationships. Not that there's anything wrong with looking at porn, but they they make it like it's a problem for him, which is always very uh, very funny. There's if, a great... if he's if he's sad and lonely and yearning for a human relationship, it's 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 sad. Yeah. Uh, if he's just like, I don't know, this is easier. Then it's. It's fine. Yeah, he's fine. He he doesn't seem uncomfortable, but again, we never really get into like what makes him. Yeah, what makes him too. There's a great episode. Uh, it's a fun episode called Dreamlands Part One and Two, which you you didn't get a chance to watch, where he uh he switches uh bodies with Michael McKean, um for, t- for two episodes because he's a guy working at Area Fifty One. Uh, Michael McKean loves the idea of being a younger, attractive FBI agent, so he locks up. Uh, you know, Mulder in his body, and uh, he when he gets to Mulder's apartment, he's like, he's he does he looks around, he's like, there's no bed anywhere, and he buys a water bed that then Mulder has for the, a giant water bed with a mirror, in <laughs> like the the top that Mulder has for the rest of the series, and at one point he gets confronted by Scully, and he's like, when did you get a giant water bed? He goes, I don't know, because the whole point is like they. They lose their memories at the end. Don't remember that it happened, but uh, it's a very, uh, very, somewhat funny detail, I guess. Yeah, but it's only funny to me because you haven't seen any of that stuff, Peter. And yeah, just you know, very, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's like telling theoretically, an theoretically, it is a gut buster. In practice, <laughs> in my, in I was my... waiting for that story to be over. <laughs> <laughs> as an as an intellectual exercise, I can confirm. That having none of the context really hurts the joke, <laughs> um, or even getting why something was funny. Um, I don't have too much to say more about the movie, just because I, I do feel like the movie is a bigger piece than what we talked about, which makes sense why we watched all the episodes we did. So at least it wasn't for naught. I will say, like I always have appreciated how funny the X Files is. Like X Files: Fight the Future is not a funny movie, but like the understated humor were like. Mulder goes off on a rant and says, you know, we need to find out what's in those what's in those tankers. What are they going to do? And where are they going with it? And Scully under her breath is like, yep, that's the question you're going to have to answer if you're going to find them. <laughs> like, it's so understated, but the but it's it's so consistent throughout the way they kind of make these like the way they've just kind of settled into he's going to go on a rant. And then at the end of it, I'm going to have to go. So what do you want to do, Mulder? <laughs> Like it's it's 
it's good at that. Like, I think that's something that a lot of these types of shows have lost. Like, I watched, like, Buffy was a very, and Angel had a very specific sense of humor, but most of these, like, big science fiction stuff, like, rarely go to the humor well as much as I think the X-Files just had that as a commonplace part of their dynamic. And it's because, and I think what ultimately makes the show work so well is that Mulder and Scully are at odds. And even though they do have a mutual respect for each other and listen to each other's opinions and follow each other's hunches and go along with things, they are constantly annoyed with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the sort of thing where they have begrudging respect. They're having actual conversations. They're not taking snipes at each other, but like yeah. their quir- their their individual quirks are is something that like they can't help but but point out the fact that like the other one is getting in the, their their <laughs> fucking way. Like, yeah. And uh yeah, like it, it it it's it's a sort of dynamic that is like I I feel like maybe I don't even want as we head towards the end, like I don't even know if I want status quo changes. I just want that dynamic to like grow and coalesce into something. Whereas they like keep taking steps back to reset them back to like season two levels. And like, that's not, that's not really like, that's not really like good for the show. That's not good for the health of the show. That's like not good for like people's general attachment to the characters. And like, I, I, I just, the um having moments those little funny moments where like you feel like they're they're taking little like jabs at each other like the way that you do it with a friend where you're like we're still gonna do this together i'm not telling you fuck you but like the way you're going about this is fucking not right yeah um that's that's uh that that speaks to like a lived-in relationship yeah, I mean, I have, I'm sure you have that with your wife. I do too. Where it's like you know you have that thing where they'll say something or do something you might have something like that's not meant to be mean or sarcastic but just like yeah i mean god knows you would never want to do this and the joke is that they always want to do that and they know that about themselves so there's like laughter or something like that you know and it's it's like it's it is part of that like where you grow to you're not trying to like change who someone is and like true like acceptance of who a person is through like like a uh, like a long term relationship is not is 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 finding a way to deal with the things that like annoy you is not the right word but like isn't how you would do something because if if that bothers you every time you're not going to have a good relationship whether it's a friendship a work partnership or a romantic relationship whatever it is you can't get mad every time they just exist as who they are and like the fun thing about the way that like uh you know, Fox and Dana handle it is that they like are like, I'm going to I'm gonna say my piece, but I'm going to follow you to the point that like you need to stop and then we're going to go my way and then we're going to go your way. And I'm never going to make my way or my um, like, I don't feel like I have to shut up and not share my opinion with you, but or that even that I think that the path we're following is stupid. But, you know, I'm going to let you do your speech and do your rant. And yeah, I mean, if you're right, if if uh, if we're going to find out what's in those tankers, we, we better find out where they're going, because that's the only way to find them. Yeah, you're right. You're you're really right to point it back at like what is a functional adult relationship. Um, yeah. Because even though you and I, I think we kind of came to the agreement that you know this show does not need Mulder and Scully being in a romantic relationship, it probably would be better if they stayed sort of yeah. like physically intimate in the sense that like 
when she's in the hospital dying of cancer, like I do want to see them hug because like she needs, yeah. she needs that sort of like close physical contact and her mother and her have a more fraught relationship than, yeah. than I think allows for that. You know, she, in a weird way, like the, 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 the kooky spooky world of the X-Files is now like become as much of her life and more so her life than the family life that we get a little peek behind the curtain of with her mother and her, her brother and, and, and yeah. her um, brother's children and stuff. It's very, I think that's, that's very sweet and, and kind of pointing us like towards like some of the final thoughts areas. Um, yeah. That is, that's ultimately what I like about the show is yeah. that like it's people having actual conversations about their, um, their belief systems and like wrangling with their belief systems. Even if I find those sometimes the, the basis and their history kind of inconsistent or unbelievable. Like um, it's, it's people having discussions about like where they're coming from and that approach. And the, the idea that multiple perspectives can actually make your case stronger. Yeah. And, and, and then I want to bring in Skinner here because I haven't talked about Skinner at all in this. There's a great episode with Skinner where he basically becomes like a a hit a, like a hitman almost for the Yeah, to save to save Mulder from having to compromise his beliefs, he compromises for him. Yeah, and to save it Scully. Really heights highlights that like Mitch Pelegi, I think, is the best actor in the show. Like hundred percent. Yeah, he's so good. And his the small little things he does with his eyes. Also has the biggest mouth. guns. Oh yeah. I mean, he's that guy's, fucking... That guy's, he's a big guy. He's yoked. He's yoked. He's yoked. He leaves his gun at home when he murders people <laughs> for the government. <laughs> All I gotta do is give you a big bear hug and your eyeballs are gonna pop out of your head. <laughs> but that's the thing that I think that the show, when it's at its best, Mulder, Scully, and Skinner all have their own sort of... They're all sort of making each other better. Yeah. It's not Mulder going off and Skinner being a scold. It's not Scully being a scold, certainly. It's Mulder going off in one direction, Scully saying, okay, if we're going to go about this, we need to do it properly. Skinner saying, you're not trying hard enough to make this like into an actual case. Like this needs to be yeah. a case file that we can end the day with and like maybe actually catch, catch someone and put them away. Like we are with the department of justice. Like let's, let's do this fucking right. Like, that sort of question, like, Scully is approaching it from a scientific um, skepticism, and then Skinner is approaching it from, like, a justice skepticism. Like, is there yeah. any means of us putting someone in jail from this? Like, is there any means of us actually, like, justifying our budget within the year? Or are we just going to be this, like, weird little... Is, is your department just going to be a weird little appendage that the FBI, you know, funds until it doesn't want to fund? Yeah, and also, like, Skinner's a lot more like, look... I believe a lot of things and I like he sees it more than anyone. Right. Because like he's been in the rooms with the the cigarette smoking man, stuff like that. But like I I'm like if if Scully's a non-believer and Mulder's a uncomp like uncompromising hero figure, then Skinner is that person who's like, I want to do good. But I also understand that doing good means uh like he's a fuck it's because it's so goddamn late what's what's the he's like a utilitarian he's uh he's uh um uh you know the the action justifies the means or whatever like, oh oh uh what's the, what's the word i'm looking for Mach not machiavellian no um 
chaotic, <laughs> lawful, um, um, lawful um, good. Um, like it's not like a functionalist. It's like uh, someone who basically believes like like whatever result you get uh, justifies it. So like if doing the good thing but getting no good results, like he's a he's an ends justify the means person. Yeah. Fuck. What is that called? There's like a name for it. It's uh or a, a harm reductionist. Maybe oh, okay. is the best term. Like that idea of like uh me me like when he gets when Mulder gets kicked off the X Files. Like obviously Skinner wants to keep him on the X Files, but he's like, yeah, of course I voted against you. One person voting for you helps nothing because instead I just seem like I'm allied with you, and that means I can't help you as much as I want to later on. And Mulder sees that as a betrayal because he's like, you need to stand up for what you believe. I, idealist Mulder versus like, practicalist uh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because Mulder's the, the, the like, um, kind of a purist. Like, yeah. he doesn't, if he doesn't have all the evidence, he's still going to go in the room and, and pitch his case. Like, um, yeah. because he, he knows he, he And he's right. used to losing, right? Like, I lose, but I'm doing the right thing and someday doing the right thing every single time or doing the thing that I believe is the right thing is going to, uh, is going to lead to success or at least, like, I can die with a clear conscience or whatever else. And Skinner's like, well, that actually does nothing and you will constantly hurt your own cause. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, and that's, like, uh, I think, like, why I get so attached to these characters is because, like, when when Mulder, I don't go, oh, man, his, his dumb, like, when you're watching a cop movie, I don't go, oh, yeah, his dumb boss is always on his ass. Let him <laughs> no. go, let him go blow shit up. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that at any point. I'm, I'm usually like, yep, Skin, from Skinner's perspective, you've kept him in the dark. There's a, there's an expression about, um... It's used in a lot of lines. I heard it specifically in polit- in politics, and it's a pretty common expression, which is like, how do you deal with a candidate? How do you deal with your boss? How do you deal with, um, you know, how do you deal with a client? It's like, uh, you treat them like mushrooms. You keep them in the dark, and you feed them shit. Yeah. Um, and that's like, Skinner's like, I'm not a fucking mushroom. Like, I'm a yeah, key I'm member con- of this I'm team. I'm constantly trying to help you. Yeah. yeah I, I've I'm not helping you the way times. you would want me to help you, which is to storm into my bosses and go, they have aliens back there, but I am helping you. The fact um, that Mo- Skin- Skinner is not like an evil asshole just like really saves the show for me because like, I yeah. do kind of want to feel like they're like in an organiz- organizational structure that like resembles reality. And the idea of the guy being like, yes. These are a bunch of kooky ass cases and we can treat them like real cases and you're good enough to do the work. So go fucking do the work like that. That is something that makes this a, a viable proposition. And I feel like when you're watching the movie, it's constantly in, in that corner where it's like, OK, well, we can't act as the actual X-Files right now. But like, go challenge your assumptions, go challenge your assumptions, go challenge your assumptions. And at a certain point, he gets thrown into uh Mulder gets thrown into in the movie just like a, a loop where people are just like we your faith in this project throughout the series is now being rewarded we're just gonna hand you clues i'm yeah. an internal source that's gonna seek you out he keeps being handed old white men that are just gonna hand him <laughs> clues and for some reason it's still dramatically compelling because we want to know what's going on like yeah if this were a standalone movie i think one of the issues you just be like yeah, and then he went a place, and then another deep throat figure handed him another file. Like, um, but instead, it's like, well, yeah, well, the Martin Landau character has a reason for existing, and the the well groomed man has a reason for existing. Which, by the way, the well groomed man. Totally... Hold on, I love that you keep calling him the well groomed man. I know it's uh it's a dumb name to begin with, but I love the well idea manicured. Of, like, 
Yeah, I love the idea that like people are picking like lice off his head. <laughs> Every day I get my chimp lice eating, and then I'm pretty well groomed. I feel like that's what the that's what the the green room is for the smoking room, right? Uh, yeah, they got. I mean, the chimps are all infected with the black oil. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, 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 that guy, which totally, that guy's totally part of the kill list cult, right? Oh yeah. The that guy rules. I mean, he's in so many that, like, that's, that's the thing is like, they almost give you like, this is impactful. If you're just seeing the movie, if you're watching the show, it's kind of a, like, you saw him watch his grandchildren, like play in his fucking giant ridge mansion. Like he's, he's, he's given up. He's like, fuck. This is how bad it is. I'm killing myself and giving you the vaccine so that maybe my grandkids can live. Which I have one question to ask. Okay, so him shooting the driver is always something that I I, I, I will I think about is like this idea that like, oh, even the driver is a is in on it. So in order for me to even tell you this, I need to kill my driver. The fact that he goes into the car and the car blows up immediately implies to me not that he had hit the button before he even sat down, because it's very quick. It's, it implies to me that one of the doors is the bomb door. <laughs> and then when he opens that door, it's, it has like a three-second fuse. Oh, no, wrong bomb door. No, I, I like the idea, though. It's, like, that, it's like, like opposite of a kitty lock. I So I, I actually like the idea that he has to kill the driver, not because the driver might be in on it, but because we've seen on this show that, like, all their little helpers that need to be in on some of it are also... Sometimes, in, like, they're a shadowy group. They also spy on each other and turn on each other. Like, you know, one of the dudes tried to kill the cigarette-smoking man, and you might have thought if you watched the show he was dead for a while. <laughs> like, like, and then they're back to it. Like, yeah, when you're in a shadow con- Illuminati conspiracy, it's not like uh, there's, there's mutual uh, where you deal in lies and secrets and, like, disinformation. Your, your group is not like... Uh, but here we're all honest and open all the time. Like you, you know everyone's full of shit. So there's no honor lo- among thieves. Yeah, right. And and the, this group, this group survived. Was built the, the 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 foundation of this group. The, the the brick and mortar of this group was violent pragmatism. The the willingness to sacrifice your own so that you can live. Like uh, a gorilla mother needing to eat her her cubs to stave off starvation has more nobility than what they did. Uh, so, Aaron, do you want to talk about some final uh, weird scenes in this movie? Because, like... I, yeah, I mean, I just... I, I love all the alien stuff that you do get, which is way more than you ever got on the show. But, like, I love this... When you get to see the scientists, like, working at the site, and here's the, you know, the, the, the see-through skin and the alien monster gestating in a human body feeding off its energy and like how panicked the syndicate scientists are um like all that stuff just works really well as a both a payoff but even if you again i mean i i I am the platonic example of someone who at least was aware of what was going on with the x-files but saw this movie without any of the knowledge i don't think i'd seen that conspiracy episode even like I didn't need to know that the black oil had this long history on the show. It was like, oh fuck, whatever this is is possessing this kid, and now twenty minutes into the movie, I know he's popping out an alien. And like, I just think it all works really well and manages to have like so many good moments of of scariness. Like that's the last thing I I think I I and then we can be done for for a for a series that aired. Sunday nights at Fox, 
it had a lot of very scary episodes, either in actually like creeping you out, making you jump or at the end of it, like, you know, kind of being terrified with the implications of what what the episode was about. This movie doesn't really hit some of like the creepier, like underlaying terror stuff that some of the best episodes, usually Monster of the Week episodes does. But like it does have that kind of old school 70s era suspense that really gets your heart pumping. And so like, yeah, when when the scientist goes back to the body that they've been keeping frozen so they can transport it. And you, you see all the meticulous arrangements they've made so that they can transport the body. And they had this weird old, like, ice coffin, you know, to make sure that the body's preserved on transport. And he's like, it cannot go above this. And he goes back to the tent and, like, the, the body's empty. And there's the skittering of the alien. And, like, he still is like, oh, I see it. Maybe I should go look at it. And then, like, it just lashes out and cuts his face open. And he's, like, then, like, going, like, hey, let me out. I see it. I'm the lead scientist. And everyone else just closes the thing and puts sand on it. All that shit is just so good. It's so good. From a spooky perspective. Like, it's it's so so fucking good. We should highlight here that this guy is a um, Frank Darabont regular, Jeff oh, yeah. Demon, who great I love. Great in the mist. Yeah. He's great in the mist. He's great in The Walking Dead. He's great in Shawshank. He's great in everything. Um, he is, uh, He's. It, it's so fun when he shows up because he's so great as like guy who's like competent enough to be in the upper echelons of the government, but you can just read on his face. Like he's just like, I'm in, I'm in over my head. Yeah, um, and I love. I wrote. I wrote down that. I love that. Basically, like his employers have amazing operational security and have everyone like basically trained for the moment that this went wrong. <laughs> yeah, he himself has miserable operational security. He goes down in that hole alone. He has no one to back him up. There's no interlocking mechanism for like the inner chamber. It's just sort of yeah. like a weird little tent. And then like, he takes off his mask immediately because like he needs to have a better field of vision. <laughs> yeah, he he has miserable operational security, but his yeah. bosses are like, uh, yeah, this, this is the protocol. You get buried un- alive underground. Uh, I guess actually in that context, it's probably better that the aliens down there to tear you limb from limb yeah i mean you're not yeah you're you're fucked you're not getting black oiled no uh, no you're not gonna turn into jelly you're just gonna be ripped to shreds great like would you rather oh yeah jelly? Or, even if you, or or third option you killed the alien congrats uh now you have to <laughs> Killed the alien, congrats. Now you have to uh, die in the dark underground. Yeah, I still remember, like, that concept of, like, oh, my God, I barely survived this alien tech and I'm bleeding. And everyone just looks down at him in their, like, hazmat suit. So They know. look around a little bit, like, with a little bit of, like, human empathy. And yeah, then, like, and ah, shit, sorry. That makes it way scarier to me. It does. That, that No, that reminds me of. There's a moment in the Watchmen comic where um, a... This this is something that stuck with me for years. There's a moment in the Watchmen comic when Rorschach has a guy by his like thumbs in the the, the bars, and um, basically the the um, the head head honcho wants this guy dead. He wants Rorschach dead. So uh, he's like, cut off that guy's the the one henchman's uh, hands to the other henchman. And the other henchman's like, sorry, dude. Like, 
Yeah. I have. Like, that That always creeps the shit out of me because I know there's no honor among thieves, but the idea that, like, these guys are literally like, yeah, I mean, I kill people for a living, so, like, the line is where my boss says the line is. Yeah, I... Well, and, the, and on top of that, like, the bearing alive thing is terrifying. The whole, like, you are just fucked for eternity, but also trapped in a giant underground chamber, chamber where no one can hear you scream, and there's an alien monster that's likely going to tear you uh, limb from limb, or eat you, or who knows what that alien's going to do to you, um, is, uh, yeah, fucking, fucking terrifying. It could be lonely, and maybe it just wants a smooch. Yeah, I mean... And the X-Files, like, in my final thoughts here, like, the X-Files was, as much as people can go, like, oh, yeah, the bees and the black oil, which admittedly, like, on paper sounds stupid and silly. But at the end of the day, like, the when you're watching that show and a tanker, like, flies by and you know that's full of fucking, like, black oil, there's a great scene, which I actually never noticed before, like, when they're in the in the underground and they're pumping something out of the ground and like you see what's in the pipes and it's just black oil <laughs> like oh shit they found a black oil deposit in texas and are pumping it all out and putting it in these tankers which they don't make like explicit reference to but it was something that like oh it's very clear but they're obviously no one's saying let's get the black oil out of the ground and ship it into the containers because that's never how the x-files work but the fact that seeing bees or seeing a cornfield or seeing a tanker that's moving at night can feel so sinister uh is is always what made the x-files so good like these little disparate parts were just framed in right in just the right way to make you feel weirded out or creeped out or just trying to figure out like how does how could this insane puzzle fit together and sometimes it fit together very well and sometimes it it you know was kind of silly and ridiculous and and but at the end of the day like i like i would probably call the x-files one of my 10 favorite shows of all time just because like a seinfeld or like a star trek the next generation or something like that I can always go back and watch five or ten episodes of of this show anytime I feel like it or on a random night watch one or two because it has so many good episodes and ultimately it's just hitting so many of my personal buttons. I love Twilight Zone shit. I love anthology horror related shit. This is that done with amazing writing and cinematography and concepts. Uh, I love sci-fi shit. I love alien conspiracy stuff of the 90s and stuff like that. Um, and I love kind of the understated, sarcastic type of, of humor. Like, the it hits all of my buttons. And it really is a show that I feel like um, holds up relatively well from start to finish in a way that, you know, a lot of these shows, especially from the 90s, like, don't. Like, it's still spooky it's still unlike anything else that really has ever been on TV. And that shows by how many TV shows have tried to to capture this formula. Like, I end up watching, embarrassingly, maybe not embarrassingly, because there was some good stuff, but I, I think I watched, like, ten ep- seasons of Supernatural because it was like, oh, this is more X-Files. I tried to get into Fringe because it was like, this is more X-Files. Lost hit that this is the big mystery stuff of the X-Files. Like... To this day, shows are trying to figure out how to do the X-Files. And ultimately, while there's been definitely some successful attempts to take take this concept or structure or mythology or whatever you want to call it and, and turn it into its own thing, like, 
you can still just like at Twin Peaks, like there's been a lot of attempts to do Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is still kind of the best of all those. And in the same way, uh, I think the X-Files is still still the best of the X-Files type shows that have come out in the last 20 some years. Yeah, I think that's a good I think that's a good way to to end it. I'm um I was really happy that I got to go on this little this little trek with you. Um particularly like this month uh has been sort of us showing each other our our uh our obsessions um because these movies were made for the obsessives. The movies were yeah. made like Okay, like you can't get enough of this thing that you can basically watch on TV for free. I guess Evangelion, you know, he had to go find tapes, but for a period of time. On this thing that you can watch on TV, assuming you know a dealer in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Though in Japan, it was on TV all the time. It was a huge hit. Like you wouldn't have had to be uh, go through that whole VHS market. And that's why they made the movie. Um, Yeah. So the the idea that like obsessives get a chance to uh, to to uh, really revel in theirs and have like a theatrical experience that really like legitimizes their thing. I think it feels very hokey and old world in one way because it's like, it's like, well, TV is legitimate. Like it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need this express sign off of, of, of a, of a cinema and, you know, maybe like a special effects Oscar nod. uh, Well, now, now it does the opposite, right? Like in some ways, like Star Wars and and the Marvel movies got so big, they made TV shows. Yeah, yeah. Now it's now <laughs> exactly, um, and now and there's certain directors who are like, I don't want to make a Marvel movie, but you know, maybe I would make like a TV show based on Star Wars. Like that sort of approach is, um, I think, uh, really speaks to uh, how things have changed. Yeah. Um, from back then when like the idea of a movie was like really like Fox showing off like that was like you know what we've got tens of millions of people that tune in every week let's see how many show up to a theater yeah um it was like an act of hubris almost and and the hubris paid off at least with with this movie um with uh you know future movies not so much but like uh, it was almost a way for the audience to like uh, I, with their own voting with their dollars, it was a way for them to like legitimize themselves, and that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, it's just it does speak to the missed opportunity that that X Files was, but like that missed opportunity was still an an excellently successful opportunity, and I had a blast going through these like sets of episodes with you, and I wouldn't mind getting another like watch order of like oh here's here are my other you know. These are the craziest monsters of the week. So yeah. here's some. I, I, de- I definitely would love to go back and be like, hey, as we breeze through seasons four and season uh, through six, essentially, here's all the shit that you missed. That's like the my favorite stuff that I go back to. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that, too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, we again this this month, like required literally hundreds of hours of watching. Like, I don't. I. I actually don't think that's an exaggeration. I think we probably, I mean, we started prepping for this month, or at least I did with Evangelion back in like July and August. So uh, this was this was a big month for us. I hope it was fun for you, especially with all the supersized episodes. Uh, and we are taking how much time we spent on this month and going into next month with something that requires equally amount as, as much effort uh, from us. And that is the extraordinarily connected, uh, the big game month, because February is the big game, as you all know. And so we're doing a whole month devoted to the big game featuring movies that 
feature no actual games, but do have the word game in its title. So we're going to be doing next week the most dangerous game. Then we're going to be doing Patriot Games, which some would say is also the most dangerous game, depending on who you're patriotic for. (laughs) Then we're going to be doing the game, the titular game. And then we're going to end it on a lighter note with some funny games. 2008 the, version. The funniest games. Yes, we're gonna. Yeah, exactly. That's a good clarification. We're gonna be doing the American version, um, which, as far as I can tell, is pretty close to the original version. Uh, Shot for Shot remake, I think, is the uh, be- much better version. I did see the American one first, so that may. But I, I think the performances, which are pretty critical to a movie that's all about, uh, no, the 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 way that violence impacts people. I think uh, the performances are. Are good in both, but Naomi Watts and Tim Roth are amazing in the in the American remake. So that is the one that I would call the better version, and that's our fight episode. Perfect. I haven't rewatched it yet, so I don't know. Perfect. I don't know. I will not be revisiting the original film to do a comparison, but I have seen the original film. So, um, so Aaron, I would say to you, I just have one last question. Is Terry O'Quinn just really bad at, at figuring out how to defuse bombs? Yeah, his, his whole thing was like, <sighs> I thought most of my bomb defusing would be in, in a laboratory. <laughs> I thought all my, it's kind of like when you're like, who's going to use math? And so you never learn how to do it, but you like look up the answers online to to math problems. And then you're sitting there in a real world situation and goes, ah, fuck, I did need trig. why was that extraordinarily sad 28 year old professor right (laughs) yeah uh we we mentioned him he plays uh this is he does three separate appearances in the x-files all playing different characters which is incredibly funny to me in that they must have known that they did that because like it's all the same people that cast him and also it's a show with clones that they're like nah it's just just we want terry o'quinn all, ter- all, all terry's look the same to me so it makes sense yeah uh terry good o'quinn, night terry shivo good night
so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches peter and aaron <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>